people and welcome to another edition of talking during movies the podcast where we take key moments and quotes from a film to drive a conversation and today folks i have with me the often copied the never duplicated when the power goes out you could do some you could do some laundry on his abs i'm not gonna lie folks but if that's all you're seeing if that's all you're doing is doing a cursory glance of how this man has sculpted his body then you're missing the point and you're missing the man and you're missing his message. And that's why we're gonna take some time, talk over Pulp Fiction and get into it. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, David Morin, how are you, sir? What's up, Jason? Thanks for the intro, bro. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is a un unique experience, man. I'm excited to have a little chat and get to know you and let's just kind of kick it for a bit over some Pulp Fiction. Absolutely, man, I love it, I love it. Real quick, before we get into the movie, how can people find you, where can they find you? What's the best way to engage with you? Uh, best way would be probably Instagram. That would be uh, anything getmorn, at getmorn. You can find me Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know, YouTube, just G-E-T-M-O-R-I-N. That's it. Fantastic, and you picked Pulp Fiction, that was one of the movies. What What is it about Pulp Fiction that uh, that resonates with you a little bit? Well, there's particular key points in the movie I think a lot of people can relate to, um, especially the Samuel Jackson, Ezekiel, biblical quote. Uh, you know, that has a certain relevance in these particular times where, uh, you know, the iniquities of the unjust are beset on each side of the righteous. And he says this quote, you know, because he, you know, paraphrasing him, I just thought that would, you know, that was some brutal shit before I put a cap in somebody, you know. But in, in this particular day and age, in the age of disinformation, in the age of uh, the corporate uh, technocracy, that's kind of like, you know, pulling the wool over everyone's eyes in terms of informed consent and your health and your education and your enlightenment really is. A process of personal development and if you have any hopes of personal sovereignty in this world which those chances are real and just that spirit is still alive but in this particular case in the movie you know it hits hard because you see yeah you know there really is a world out there that is predatory and he illustrates that particular moment to say hey um you know, I'll lay the vengeance down upon the wicked and you will know that I am God. Mm -hmm. And so ho hopefully, hopefully the future will be the like the realization of this and there will be justice on the planet and humans will be allowed 
to pursue the natural process of enlightenment, which I think we're all born here to experience. I love it. I love it. Well, let's hit play and, and keep chatting. I got some initial questions for you here. You know, um, it's, it's interesting. We have the, the hairy artist is, you know, he, he brought us together and you're kind enough to take the time. And, and, I, and I wonder, getting right into it, you know, I think people instantly create a sense of, of judgment, good or bad, when they see someone, right? And so they look at you and instantly you think mental toughness, wakes up at 4 a.m., eats raw eggs like Rocky, stern father, his kids don't get away with anything. But then you see your videos and I'm seeing, you know, that beautiful pic of you and your girls going to the beach and hear you talk and uh, you, you don't follow that path. You follow more a path of being enlightened and searching and wanting to learn more. And so, you know, the easy question is, hey, how do I get a six pack? The hard question is, how did you mentally get here? to where you wanted to keep searching because no offense, but physically, man, you don't have to. You've been on the cover of magazines. You could just walk out and be a model. You, you don't have to do the things you're searching and doing. You don't have to spend the time. So what is that inner desire in there? Yeah, I mean, um, I think like anything um, that has um, in nature, when you look at nature, there's an inherent beauty in all things, you know, um, whether you know, people can agree whether like crocodiles are aesthetically pleasing or not, they <laughs> still have an, an inherent beauty and a toughness to them. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think you know, um, everything is, is subject to our own individual perceptions. And what I hope to embody is just the never ending process and the endeavor and the quest to for my body to represent you know my mindset of life itself you know i'm a i'm just a believer in the um the the capacity and beauty of life to overcome and, and adapt to all things you know that that resilience that that you can demonstrate through your walk and through your talk but you know as you said you know i did grow up in a military family i did grow up with a father that was like you know no bullshit no excuses hardcore Catholic, 40 years in the military, 20 active duty, retired from after, you know, Vietnam and then did another 20 in the Department of Defense. Wow. So, you know, he would always say, you know, like, you know, what do you get when you run out of excuses? You get results, you know? So, but at the end of the day, you know, that, that hard path and that, that way isn't necessarily, um, that's kind of like the high road to being an asshole, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like, that's like, yeah, you can get a lot done, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like, you're a dick, dude. Um, so, you know, when I started really getting into martial arts and kind of understanding duality and the nature of something that's too rigid will break, whereas bamboo has a strength that is found in its flexibility. And so I would always kind of seek like those role models that would have um, a very strong, tough, um, rigid exterior, but also had the empathy and the heart um, to be able to resonate with people that perhaps, you know, were at their lowest moments, you know, like 
Jesus was a role model too. And Jesus said, you know, what you do for the least of me, you do, you know, at least for my brethren, you do for me. So it's kind of like, you know, the stone that the builders refuse. I never wanted to refuse someone because I am that person. You know, I was that person. I'm always, we're always, we're always in an opportunity to observe someone else as less fortunate and we either accept them or reject them. And in doing so you're accepting and rejecting an aspect of yourself. And so I, I get, I get great strength from trying to connect to people that are living in a self-defeating paradigm because I, I believe that I can magnetize them because it's happened to me because people have done the same for me. So what, uh, what martial arts, uh, or what do you practice now? Well now, so, so I'm a, I'm a shodan in a martial art, which is a tactical martial art that's called uh, Hoshin Jitsu, which okay. is um, Hoshin Jitsu. So uh, there was an original kind of ninja craze that happened in the eighties, guys like Stephen Hayes, Jim and, Cotta, uh, brother. Jim Cotta. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Cotta. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so, so once you, once you kind of, you know, look past the Hollywood and you understand like, um, you know, the ninjas were just uh, the, the original shadow espionage kind of spies that were farmers that were just in rebellion to the totalitarian samurais being hired by the warlords to collect taxes on them uh, and spaced murder at the edge of the samurai's blade until they took farm equipment and converted it into weapons and used stealth and used secret and used shadow and uh, mysticism to kind of, they're the first guerrilla warfare people. So there's a tactical aspect to it, but there's situational awareness, there's energy work. Um, there's a lot of subtlety, but originally it was like Jiao Gong. There was Jiao Gong Kung Fu. There was small circle Jiu Jitsu. There was, um, you know, an element of like a little bit of Taekwondo. And then there was also like karate when I was very young. Um, but you try to extract as much tactility from as many different arts as you can and you test it. And if it's effective, then you incorporate it. And if it's not, you discard it. So I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I love that, you know, I, I was raised in a, in, in a little bit of a different environment. Um, my dad, my, the, the guy who raised me, not my real father, the guy who raised me was a tough Eastern Montana cowboy, hands-on with his discipline, hands-on when he was a little bit boozy, hands-on in a lot of ways. Uh, but one thing it taught me is that when someone grabs me, I'm not nervous. I know what to expect. Uh, people who train in martial arts, when they're touched, they, they're not nervous, they're not scared, they know what to expect. And I wonder, you know, with all this wisdom, why our police force, why our military force isn't more grounded in, I don't care what the discipline is, I really don't. Because I, I think in some capacity, the discipline is a little inconsequential, right? It's about, can you calm your heart rate? Can you calm your reaction? And can you read a situation when someone's screaming at you and running at you? Do you have that? Or is your heart gonna jump out of your chest while your eyes gonna water up a little bit because you're nervous and your hands start sweating, you can't grab onto anything. And I think mm. what we see in the response sometimes is that we put people in a position of power. And I think we can subsequently take this to a lot of places. We put people in a position of power that shouldn't be there. You know, and I think Pulp Fiction highlights this very well. 
there are people in positions that shouldn't be there and it's adequately highlighted by their failures and they're held responsible. I think the only difference is, is that we don't have a tone on responsibility. You know, we don't. Yeah, yeah, you know, tone and language, you know, we as individuals bear the responsibility of being able to articulate and de-escalate situations as they occur. If, if we, the people as citizens can speak the language that, uh, you know, we are compliant with the law, there's a natural law that of which the laws, like there's a, there's, a, there's a natural order and a natural law, you can call it karma, electromagnetism, gravity, like there's a reason why, you know, self-aware sentient beings have evolved on this planet. And these universal laws are basically what our laws, you know, thou shall not kill, thou shall not steal, or, you know, it's basically our civil laws. And so I think we're, we're facing the, the realization that there was kind of like a, either through this kind of, you know, laxed uh, life of hedonistic kind of vision for you know our lives and generation after generation we've just our ability to speak the language to each other as citizens and understand like you know someone that goes to work every day as a police officer who faces his his you know possibly death each day is not a stress that any human being should have to bear yep. and at the same and at the same time in, in the process of facing that, you lose your humanness and, and you, you just perceive things. Like I remember when I, you know, I was really into martial arts, it was kind of like every person I would see, it was like, oh, I would look at their posture. I would, I would look at ways to physically examine them on how I could imbalance them or how I could gain an advantage in a physical altercation. And it's like, you, you, it's just this, it's a natural kind of thing when you're trying to test the techniques, basically because you don't have confidence and basically mm -hmm. because you have a license to kill, which is also a license to use restraint. And I think there has to be some new way that people talk to each other. Um, and it, it seems as though kind of like, you know, just because you're wearing a uniform as a police officer is an excuse for me to disrespect you, yeah. right? 100%. And just because you have a skin that's black doesn't mean I should disrespect you or because you're a woman or because you're transgender or what, whatever you are. It's like just being, using the tone of respect, I think clears the way so much in every situation. And if we can just, Put the uniform aside, put the skin aside, put all of this stuff aside and just address the being. I think the outcomes in all these situations will be. And the movie play is a perfect example of that. I mean, Samuel Jackson really does talk the escalation through the escalation of these emotions, this threat response. Like that's the ultimate warrior. You never fight a battle. You can win battles with your words. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It is. I mean, it's, there have been many a times where, you know, I, I've been with people and something started to happen. You can smell it in the air for lack of a better term. And you really can, you know, that the, the can. air changes and we were in a, we were in this bar and man, 
I'm with this gal and it's a wedding party. We're in a small town. And I looked there and I said, it's time to go. She goes, everyone's having fun. I go, nope, time to go. We walked out of that place, restaurant bar situation, walked out, walked down to the car, got in, started the car before we drove out of the parking spot. A guy was thrown through the front window. And she looked at me and she's like, how did you know? <laughs> I said, well, one, I've been the guy getting thrown. <laughs> Two, I don't like that. I don't like that feeling. I don't like that environment. And I'm 6'2", 200 pounds. I'm the guy they go, it's probably his fault. So I just, I remove myself from the situation because I'm not going to de-escalate that. You got five guys that are mad and they're pissed off in a bar and it's local. But, but the, you also, guess what? You can de-escalate it by walking away. And she was Absolutely. like, I can't believe you saw that. And I'm like, I can't believe you didn't. She's like, oh, I've never been in a fight. And I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> makes a little more sense now. But I want to throw, this podcast is full of a hard left turn. We were talking earlier and we were talking about this, you know, uh, Samuel Jackson and, and John Travolta are chatting it up and, you know, they're in the car, Royale with cheese. And they put mayonnaise in the French fries. We were talking before the podcast about adventures and going and trying and doing things and the road less traveled. I wonder in a world that's constantly changing, and I'm a guy who's got a daughter, you've got a couple yourself. How do you inspire that same vision and passion for the road less traveled in a world that seems to be coming more and more dangerous, especially for, for, for young people? Mm. That's a great question. You know, I think part of the responsibility of being a parent, along with just initially kind of opening your kid's eyes to their their potential and in as many different avenues as they apply themselves and trying to help them identify their affinities at, at an early age and can encourage them in, the, in, the, in that healthy direction. I think I think in today's world. Um, doing the job of rooting your children in reality. Um, you know, now there's ar arbitrary meanings assigned to different words and words that have meaning based on their definitions can be thrown around. And as soon as you start, you know, changing the definitions of things, as soon as you can start manipulating reality through artificial intelligence to where it's indiscernible between actual, you know, terrestrial experience based on your five senses and your interaction with nature and some, you know, uh, techno bio integration that makes you feel almost the same, you know, neurological chemistry that you would feel when you're out there skydiving or whatever. I think as parents, you know, the pure distinction and we're we're of that generation you know we, we're seeing the continuity between you know an analog world and a, and a complete reality being crammed into a binary code machine that's just gonna it's a derivative of the reality that we live in and i mean we pure were you and i were the first remote controls right, <laughs> right. i mean right. Was, yeah. dad wanted the channel change we did it right exactly yeah, you know, it's, that's interesting. You know, I was thinking the other day, too, I was thinking about this, like, 
you know how you, you know you I went to school and I studied philosophy and I was raised in, you know, somewhat of a Catholic family so there was always this notion of like you know these higher invisible beings that you know with the archetypes that you know you would and, and cross-culturally people pray to these muses and these archetypes and they they you know they believe they can channel their virtues in times of need or whatever and it's interesting they're kind of like the muses and the gods of the Greek pantheon are kind of like the video game nerds in today's world that are controlling, uh, you know, a little avatar that has like, well, a life of his own in like, you know, uh, World of Warcraft for a billion hours now, you know, you have some kid just like downloading his consciousness into this artificial construct. And the, so you see the cycle repeating itself uh, over and over in a fractal sense, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I, I think I think that's where you and I are like the connective tissue between look, man, we guys like us, I can tell already, Jason, you just want to go camping. You want to show your your daughter like the real the real treasures of life that are out there that come from unique people that have lived a life and just have like character. You know, those people that are out there that just like, they've seen some shit. Yeah, that's why know? I do this, man, because yeah. this, like, it, you know, this is something where, and there'll be some embarrassing ones, there'll be some positive ones and neutral ones, but I'll keep this alive for my kid so she can see who I talk to, but also to see, you know, what it means to talk to someone that you don't know, what it means to engage, what it means to listen, what it, what it means to ask a question where she can learn from where I've made mistakes and where I've won throwing in a joke and it's won and it's missed, you know, and, and, and deciding what track you're going to take and why, what road are you going to go down and why we go, we went, we were up one morning, grew up in my grandmother in Townsend, Montana, she's 94. She never doesn't drink. She won't take any drugs for her back pain. She doesn't want to get addicted. I'm like, this is your time to get addicted. She's like, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, she wants to be clear-headed. She's playing solitaire, and we're running around, and we stop at this coffee shop, little tiny town, maybe 700, 800 people in this town. Coffee shop, guy sees me. I've got shorts and a t-shirt on. He's like, buddy, a little cold out. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, read the wrong read the wrong weather report. And I held the door open for him, and he got a chuckle. We walked in, and it's one of two coffee shops in the town. You know, so I look at the gal, she kind of recognizes me from knowing our family. And I say, you know, I'll get this coffee. And so he gets his coffee, goes, what do I owe? And she goes, don't worry about it. You know, Bob, you're good. And he's like, oh, he's, you know, he's like, well, thanks, whoever did this. I appreciate it. My daughter goes say something. I kind of grab her hand a little tighter. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I go, we just made his dad. We only have to know that. He doesn't have to know that. He's happy. Yeah. But dad, you don't know him. That's the point. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, and you're not going to get, you know, and you can, you, we saw him the next day and he's like, did you buy my coffee? You know, I'm just like, ah, maybe, I don't know. He's like, well, I'm getting yours this morning. I said, sir, you don't have to do that. He goes, well, I'd like to. I'm like, well, let's sit on and chat for a little bit then. It was just him and I sat him down, talked about ranching, talked about bucking bales when I was a kid. You know, talk, talked about horses and steer and cattle getting out. 
He's like, well, I got to get back at it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I took probably a little more of your time than you thought you were going to give, but I, I appreciate it. And you can, you're, you're not going to get that if you don't go out and do stuff. It's, you know, that is, that is really fascinating. I think, I think that that's the connected tissue of the community and the family and, and that kind of open heartedness, you know, that open mindedness to sit down and have conversations with people really does allow the nature of our existence to kind of reveal what our purpose is and how information being shared in real time with people has a complexity of, of circumstances that happen that are kind of beyond your consciousness. I'll give you an example of uh, why I think this is so important. I, I booked a job with Rebel Wilson. I don't know if you know Rebel Wilson. Yeah. Like a really, yeah, she, she was previously kind of the fat, funny girl, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, I did this job for Glamour Magazine at this, you know, crazy house in Beverly Hills. And it was for, you know, I was like the muscle dude. And, you know, she was, uh, you know, dressed up in like crazy fur robes with her chihuahua and like pink champagne at the pool, you know, and I was like the pool guy. And during my interaction with her, uh, it's kind of the juxtaposition for, for the story you just said. Her handlers were involved in every facet of the communication between her and I. Oh. It, it, was, it was one of those things where there was only a few, even though I spent time holding her in my arms or having her on my shoulder and all these ridiculous, super up-close, intimate situations, most of the questions and most of the dialogue was orchestrated by her handlers. And it, and it really hit me at that moment. Like, this is how, like, to, to kind of bring in the matrix a little bit is kind of like how the agents, you know, uh, are kind of embedded in society, especially among cultural icons. And they, they create this bubble to where this person who would normally have circumstances like you had where you went into the coffee shop and you would interact with someone that may change the course of your day uh, or, or you know, may enlighten you. You never, never know who you're gonna bump into and interact with when you're on your path you know, and randomness and synchronicity have a chance to operate in your life. But Hollywood celebrities, they're such a vested interest and they're such a controlled commodity that they don't want their mind to be open to the random acts of kindness or the random synchronicities that their life, if they had autonomy over their life, would occur naturally as a consequence of them just existing and talking and connecting to people. So it's, a fa it's, it's fascinating how we see these people controlled and at the end of their road, like, what kind of life did you live? Yeah, well, let me ask my agent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. I mean, yeah. And I will say, because I've seen it on both sides, uh, I had the privilege years ago uh, to support a charity event. <clears throat> and they asked me to golf. And I said, well, I'm not a good golfer. So we'll get some friends who can golf. We'll pair you up with a celebrity. And then you'll also get, you know, a, uh, you'll get a caddy. You get a couple of buddies one gal, one guy, and we're, we're going to golf with this celebrity and this other person and, uh, and this famous caddy. Okay. 
to your point, you're absolutely correct. The celebrity was an asshole. And he was standoffish and he wanted to win. He was upset that I wasn't as good. And, you know, he wanted to win his trip to Hawaii. And I was like, man, we're out here because kids need kidneys and blood transfusion. Like, I gave some blood before I came out here and I'm drinking whiskey with, the, with, the, with our caddy who's from, from Scotland. Like, this is my guy over here. And he's just off by himself. And he won't really talk to us. Well, his wife came out. His wife's also an actress. And she saw the way he was acting. And she sat in my cart with my friends, like on our laps, hung out with us for over nine holes. We're still friends to this day. Like when I go to LA, I stay at her house on top of Mulholland. Because if I don't, she's going to get upset. Like if I'm, if I'm in LA, if I'm down in Orange County, she's like, fine, I don't want you to commute. But if I'm in LA, boy, howdy, man, that's where I'm staying. Nice. And I mean, she's doing stuff where she sends my daughter video messages. Tooth fairy comes, you know, she's engaging and real, but guess what? Never met her agent. Wouldn't right. know her agent or a PR person. If they sat next to me for a whole day, I wouldn't know. Wouldn't care to know. Right. Nope. She's, but she, she was born poor. She worked her ass off. She had a couple of really big hit shows, 90210 and, uh, and Las Vegas were probably two biggest, was in a couple of big movies. And she's just a friend that I can text and call and ask things. You know, and her, her husband is a chips cop, man. He's on the bike out cruising around. I remember the first time I cooked dinner at their house and she's like, oh, by the way, MC is going to be home soon. And I'm like, MC carries a gun. He's never met me. <laughs> you know, does he know I'm here? Right. And her text is, I think I told him. <laughs> Just like, hey, man, <laughs> like, I don't want to be breaking into your house. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Please. I need more information. Got the tomahawk steaks going. I've got yeah. every, her kitchen is just murdered, bro. Right, right, yeah. I, I have two other friends with me. We've opened a bottle of wine. We got a bottle of champagne chilling. We've got tomahawks going. I'm doing everything. I'm going crazy. I'm having so much fun. And he walks in. He's like, uh, "Hello," but you know, a man who was in Afghanistan, went through some wars, has literally rebuilt his body, right, so that he can function without pain. And then just wants to serve people more in, you know, arguably one of the harder professions that any man or woman can get into. And he pokes his head around and I'm like, Hey man, Jason, he goes, Vanessa's friend, get over here and just gave me a hug. But that's truth and consequences of who you surround yourself with. Like I know that if I was going to be in Miami or Beverly Hills or Hawaii, wherever location you're at, and I message you and I'm like, hey man, I'm gonna be in this area. You're like, let's meet up for a cup of coffee. Let's go. I'm like, oh, by the way, there's gonna be a person with me. You're not gonna go. Sorry, man. Hey, listen, I don't mind if we talk, but you know, this wasn't cleared through my people. <laughs> you know, right. you're like, yeah. yeah, great. Let's go have some fun. Let's do something. You know, let me show you something. Yeah. Or if you were in Texas and you're like, Jay, I'm in Austin, I'm like, bro, where do you wanna eat? Where do you, you know, is there a gym here you want to go to? Is there anything, is there anything special you want to see? Is there a hike you want to do? I'll get it dialed in. I'll make it happen. Nice. Because otherwise, what's the point? And I mean right. that sincerely. Like, what's the point of, of, of hanging out with people if you're not going to open yourself up and be like, yeah, come hang out? 
Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, to that point too, when I was younger, you know, you, you know, they say like a lot of people mistake kindness for weakness and, you know, you learn kind of through the circumstance of people not expressing sincere reciprocity. And then you struggle with, well, I just want to be a loving, compassionate person, but you can't just give like layer pearls before swine, you know? And so there's this kind of like golden rule to the golden rule, which is when I meet you and I hang out with you, it's, you know, it's full throttle. It's like, whatever. It's like, uh, here's my heart. Here's my life. Here's everything. Let's just hang out and be cool and see what happens with that kind of magic and energy, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when you meet people, you can almost tell immediately if, if they're not sincerely understanding what you're bringing to the table in terms of, Hey man, this is my life and my time. And like, this is, uh, I'm not holding back and, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to give, you know, if they can't immediately recognize that. And then, it's not, it's not like, well, you know, you, I scratch your back, you scratch mine per se, but it's the acknowledgement and the sincerity and the recognition and the heartfelt connection of knowing like, yeah, man, like, thank you so much for tonight or spending time or sharing your life or, or, or just talking to me about your struggles or your, you know, your life. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, always my approach now as an adult immediately when I engage and then what happens is is like anything most times people lack the sincerity and sensitivity in today's world so the golden rule still gets practiced so I I I, I'm still abiding by that rule but quite often it leads to a lot of time by myself because finding those people that do reciprocate is very rare. And so you find a very small circle of people that you can trust a whole lot. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, you know, <clears throat> you beat me the punch and I'll say it at the end, but everyone hears me say it. This podcast, I always tell people, I go, hey, you can go buy bread, you can go back and go buy some more bread, go buy a banana, turns brown, you make banana bread, you can go buy new bananas. Those pesky little avocados, those little shitheads. You can buy them, wait for them to get ripe. You know, you can play the game. But you get to go get more and keep playing the game. You know, uh, that's not true with time. So anyone that spends time with me, you know, they've given something that none of us, I can't give it back to them. They can't, there's nothing they can do to go get it back. So it's it's always interesting, you know, some people get upset and be like, hey man, I thought you had that guy booked. And then he said, no, well, okay. He said, no, he wanted to spend his time doing something else or she wanted to spend good. I don't want them here distracted. I want to hang out. I want to have fun. I see this. I tell this story a lot, but I think it's really important. I, there was a time when I was just out of college and uh, I had cooked and run billiards halls to pay for college. <laughs> Christian colleges. They're like, Oh, you like to gamble and cook. You're our guy. You know, I'm like, I can tell you where the drugs are for sure. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Have a religious experience tonight. That's right. And we're hanging out and I would always bring people around. I bring them around and be like, oh, it's the holidays. Come to my house. I'll cook. I mean, at one point I was making in a one be- in a two bedroom apartment with a barbecue, 
I was making two turkeys, a ham, three different kinds of mashed potatoes, sweet potato, tarragon, maple, gnocchi, along with a, a variety of, of cream corns, other corn, I mean, everything, everything anybody wanted. I made it. 20 people. Making me, making me hungry, bedroom. man. Uh, that's what I'm trying to do, right? So, but 20 people in a two bedroom, paper plates, making dessert, everything. But I always also, every Thanksgiving, I watch planes, trains, and automobiles. And at the end, they got that stupid case. They're walking down the street and they're carrying it both. It's John Candy and Steve Martin. There they are, they're walking down the street. They get to the door and he kind of knocks and he opens and his wife sees him. But more importantly, you see Candy's face. He's like, oh man, that's the life I, I used to have until I lost my wife. And then you see Steve put his arm around him and welcome him in. He's like, oh, I've got a little piece of this back again, a little piece. And when that came up, I made everyone shut up. This is what you want to watch. We're all here because of this scene. We're all here because of this. And then we would share moments of when we had lost, you know, when we weren't able to be with family, sad ones and strong ones, made friends, didn't make friends. First year of college, when I was in Southern California, I spent Christmas by myself in a dorm room with no one else, just by myself. Learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about how to be by myself. And people are like, oh, that's sad, it was Christmas. I'm like, it's not sad. You can make it sad or not. But I get these people around, it's like, and, I, and we'd talk and share. Some people I knew, some people I didn't know. And that was the premise and the birth of what this is. It's the end of the night, food's kind of been put away. There's some dishes need to be done. Everyone's had a little by dessert. Most people have left, fallen asleep. There we are, man, by the fire. Choose your beverage of choice, water, whiskey, wine, beer, I don't care. And we're talking. And that's the way, that's my golden rule of how I approach life. Like, you want to sit down and chat with me? I will sit down and chat. Right. Yeah, man, life, you know, people say it, uh, but you get to a certain age in your life where you've seen the sun come up and the sun come down. You've seen the seasons go around. You've seen little kids get bigger. You've seen bigger kids turn into adults. And you see your parents pass and you see, you start seeing some of your friends pass. And then you start coming to the realization that this amazing dream that we're living in doesn't necessarily prepare you for when you go to sleep and you don't wake up. And so I think there's a real need. There's a real need for people and this is prevalent throughout all ancient cultures and indigenous people in the world there's a tradition there's certain stages of rites of passage and there's a tradition to preparing yourself for that transition and one of the things i really liked um, and i'll give this to your viewers there's a video by ramdas about the dark night of the soul. And I've been through countless, you know, ayahuasca and psychedelic experiences, but, and, 
and that's not as you know unique in this day and age. But I've also been through uh, a near-death experience. I have a tumor in my heart. I was in a coma for five days. I had a pulmonary embolism. I was uh, septic, and I was given a 50-50 prognosis. And I extubated myself on my birthday in 2015, October 9th, 2015. Uh, I was disembodied consciousness. I saw myself above myself. I jumped back into my body. Um, all I can tell you is that a series of miracles and revelations happened, a series of, of, of just inexplicable events conspired to save my life, um, to awaken me to the reality that time and space are just an illusion. And in a very real sense, when we, when we have the courage to live as brave as we can be each day, which to me means living in the spirit, living a spiritual life, then when you lose your body, there is no death. There's just the continuity of that spirit into a different form, a different life, a different existence without the senses required to obtain information. And so I think we, we're all in this place and that fear is leveraged against us every day. And in reality, in reality, if we can exfoliate these fears and we can live in the face of the uncertainty that nothing is guaranteed, my friends, nothing is guaranteed. And to really know that like a, like a Zen Buddhist, like a, like a, like the code of Bushido, like one who examines thoroughly the reality of their mortality each day can truly live a liberated life. And I think that, especially in this time, is the foundation of personal freedom, personal sovereignty, being able to live a fulfilling life and have some dignity, have some goddamn dignity, man, to your life and have it mean something. You can't control the outcome of so many things, but you can control how you face those things. And you really do feel better about yourself when at the end of the day, yeah, man, none of this makes you exempt from suffering. But when you choose to suffer for things you believe in, you create a meaningful life. And when you transition or when you look back, there's no way regrets are gonna rob you of that satisfaction. Because you've already walked, you're walking through it every single day, man. Every I, single day. I, I think you brought up a beautiful point and it, it sparks in my mind that I think about quite a bit. People spend a lot of time on these, a lot. And when you ask them why they fear, why they, you know, they don't embrace the next step, whatever that is. I don't want to miss out. Well, you're assuming you're going to miss out because you've been missing out. You're assuming that you're, 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 you, 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 something's past you, the FOMO's past you 
because you were locked into something else that didn't matter. And I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I look and I go, man, everyone who's scared, I would take some real honest time and reevaluate how you're spending your time. You know, and that does not mean I'm perfect in any way, shape or form. There are many a times where, you know, that's why I do road trips with my kid. There are many a times where I'm like, man, I, I'm on this computer too much. I've worked too much today. Uh, I'm answering too many phone calls, right? But I've recognized that when I start feeling like, ooh, what did I miss out on today? Well, I know what I did wrong. And then I think, you know, another beautiful thing you're articulating is, is that then what are you going to do about it? Right? What are you going to do? Okay. What, but what, because I don't think that we have, or we're, I don't think that's not that we don't have. I don't know that we are necessarily given a lot, the adequate tools to know how to first hold ourselves responsible. We're, we're really, we really know how to hold other people responsible and hold ourselves first responsible. Look at ourselves, hold ourselves accountable and be in the discomfort of knowing that we have to grow. That's dude. That that is uh, what a poignant way to express the complexity of the reality of living a mortal life. You have to feel what it's like to be down, man. To be fucking down. I know. It's like safe spaces are killing me. I tell you know that was one of the, the joys of the hippers and the constant shinners of skateboarding, the, the constant smashing and slamming that skateboarding taught me to be friends with the ground. Mm-hmm. And, and then it, it, a lot of times what you learn you know, with skateboarding is kind of like, you know, if, if, you can, if you can control the momentum and how you fall, you can actually fall safely and actually through you can redirect that energy so that you can safely get back up on your feet without injury so there's this process of like internalizing the psychology of of that fall and knowing that there every you know the cliche of one door closing and another opening is is when you when you look within this container of failure if, if you look deep enough inside, you'll find it's just overflowing with opportunities to discover ad- adaptation. And adaptation is pure life. Adaptation is the fountain of youth. Yep. You, you, you can always learn how to adapt and overcome if you, that's a, that's a big problem I have with like algorithmic um, you know, intelligence and, and uh, predictive programming and using uh, using computer models to um, to calculate the most efficient way to obtaining goals is that along the way, what they're trying to do is eliminate mistakes. Yep. And when you eliminate mistakes, 
you rob the individual of each step that one would have to overcome by attempting again and again, not only just understanding the processes of learning, yeah, but, but gaining the sense of satisfaction knowing that you were undefeated, that you revisited the failure, that you didn't let failure sit, that you went after it again and again, and you learn, like, why are all the fucking marriages dissolving? Why is the family just no one gives a shit and people just throw themselves away? You can make a new kid. You can have a new wife. Try again. Try again, baby. Try again. Don't look in the mirror. In fact, you know what? Get rid of the mirrors in your house. You don't need them. Forget it. Right. Don't look at you. Don't look at the person. You know, I mean, my wife and I, we've we've had some hard times. But at the end of the day, we're like, I mean, I remember one time it was it was rough. And it was bad. It huh? was bad. And we're talking. And uh, she said her piece to me and it was heartfelt and it was honest and direct and it was true. And I looked at her and said, man, I, uh, I gotta be honest. <laughs> I just saw you walk by and I was thinking, ah, she's so beautiful and smart. I don't know how I landed her. I don't really would like to have sex with her right now, but she's so mad at me. <laughs> But I was just being honest. That would be inappropriate. Yes, it would. And she looked at me and she gave me this passionate kiss. And she's like, we're going to figure this out. We're going to figure it out. Wow. I mean, she's a tough Kentucky woman. I remember I was getting recruited by this uh, large oil company. And their, their home base was in Saudi Arabia. And I said, honey, here's how much money we can make. Here's how much, what's retirement like? Here's all this. Right. She looked at me and she's like, okay, do you think, uh, she was pregnant at the time, she goes, do you think we want to raise our daughter and me, uh, you know, in an environment where women are treated that way? You know, and all of a sudden the money went away. The opportunity didn't look as shiny. And I was like, you know what, it's a good point. And I said, plus, you're too beautiful. I'm not trying to hide you in a burka. I'm just I'm not doing it. You know, that's right. It, that's but right. it was, I had, to, I had to confront myself, right? Which is, do I want a career or am I chasing money? Do I right. want a family? Do I want, do I want a job and, and an environment that I can create that my wife and daughter can be proud of? Or do I want to make a lot of money? Right. Yeah, there's, there's a, such an innate drive for men to take care of things and, and to be opportunistic in seeking to facilitate that. And I think, man, God bless your wife, man. She's a keeper because she, she pulled the, you know, reins on you and, you know, throttled you down and said, look, babe, it's just, this is not as important as like us, our family and like where we come from and like knowing what our values are and yeah. just sticking and good for you, bro. You got God a good blessed. One. God blessed. And listen, I remember I had some friends talking to me like, hey, man, you, you got to do this, man. She's going to come. You just got to do it. And I said, you know, I think in 1952, that would have worked. But uh, I want her input. She's smart, smarter than me. You know, I mean, I ask questions for a reason. You know, I bring stuff up for a reason. I'm an open book for a reason. I, I want to learn. Mm. I don't know the answers. You know, I have another question for you here because I, I think it's fascinating to me. 
you're extremely well-grounded. Been on a lot of magazine covers. You worked with a lot of celebrities. You've done a lot of stuff, but you're you're, for lack of a better term, you're a bro. You're well grounded. You're someone you can just talk to. Was that your dad, or was that martial arts? Was it skateboarding? Was it a mixture of all of those things of failure and success? That I mean, because everyone I know that is successful that's also done a physical sport and struggled. My boss, he was a former pro surfer, you know, and now he runs a, a, a you know, $100 million a month business. Down to earth guy, I mean, rolls up in a Bentley in a three piece suit, but you want to talk with him about the final chat with you. He doesn't, he's a down to earth guy. Tony Hawk bumped into him at an airport. I just said, I didn't want a picture. I said, hey man, thanks. I'm a kid from Montana. And you, I mean, I couldn't even skateboard. We had a dirt road. But, and he's like, dude, my parents are from Montana. And they just sat down next to me, chatted in an airport for 20 minutes, down to earth, because he's felt the earth a lot. <laughs> yeah. God, dude, Tony, Tony's just an anomaly, man. What a special person Tony Hawk is. He just, there's nobody that, that's just through his love of that activity has just inspired so much creativity man industries shoes yeah yeah video games video games man everything but how do you stay grounded how are you you because you respond to comments you know we're doing this you know how how do you stay grounded in all that when when you are so celebrated I, i i don't believe i i'm a bit of an anarchist i think i was raised as a Catholic and there's some, don't get me wrong. There's some great things about, you know, religions and just, you know, that they've been able to kind of archive knowledge and art and mystery and, and preserve, you know, certain sanctity of certain things, you know? So I appreciate all that. And I try to take the good with the bad, you know, it's kind Mm -hmm. of like, it's so easy for people to look, and judge things for their imperfections when in reality we're we we are those things we are religion we are politics and government we are the police officers you know it's kind of like so i try as i got older and i kind of would you know like any good investigator would who's born into the scene of a crime you know you 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 try to collect the facts and backtrack and you know you you trying to you know you want to learn why things are the way they are and i i remember coming to this kind of realization about money religion physicians doctors all all of all knowledge that is accumulated and distributed and acquired and, and, and used as positions of power. Uh, it's all forms of slavery. Um, I, I, I look at like the sun, for example, as like the source of all life, you know, it provides like, you know, plants, this invisible thing that's in the visible light spectrum. It's just like the full elect- electromagnetic spectrum and plants have this amazing, magical freaking ability to convert light into 
sugar, like glucose and like food. And then of course, at the same time, they give us oxygen, you know, it's like as a byproduct of that. And of course, you know, we, we, you know, we get medicine from plants. We get, we get, we get information. We get biochemical information mediated. Like the earth's consciousness is mediated through plants when we ingest plants, especially psychoactive plants. Mm-hmm. So I, I look at I look at everything from the source of the sun as infinite amounts of data contained in various different forms that our receptors, our biological receptors, can ingest and, and assimilate and, and interact with and understand. And so I, I see knowledge as a wavelength of data and light that the more that you can obtain of, of this light, the less bondage that you'll experience, the less suffering, because your awareness is like, is like the light when you turn on a room. Your awareness illuminates all the dark spaces. So you don't have to walk through a dark room and run into walls or bang your head or do or like or suffer as much. And so this process of kind of like realizing that at some point we're all kind of in a dark room you know we go from a well-lit room to a dark room Mm -hmm. every every day and just because someone maybe has more experience and i like to use the term like a sensei or shidoshi sensei just means someone that's gone before you someone who is down the road of life and acquired a little more information Mm -hmm. um that's what helps me stay grounded man because i know that if I am an advocate of superiority based on information that I got from this world, right? It's not mine. It's, nothing is, belongs to me. I was just born in this body with this skin and this name was given to me and all this stuff. So it's like, if I claim some position of authority based on this information, what I'm really saying is, is that I believe that if I can control this information, I can use people's ignorance against them, which is basically slavery. I, if I condone that behavior, I am advocating in the belief that some people have a position of authority over others. And whether that's through money as a currency or an expression of energy, or whether that's through mystical knowledge or, or something, everyone has access to the cosmic stream if they have their instrument in tune they can witness the symphony of the universe so yeah i mean people are their own worst enemies people have Mm -hmm. their filters up people people have you know various different pre-existing patterns and conditions that may block them to the realization that their infinite consciousness experiencing itself through a singular point of view but at the end of the day man I can't turn my back on someone when I was that someone. Yeah, that word. No, it's funny. Uh, I think we are, we, we paddle in the same boat. I always joke around because you know, my poor daughter, whether I'm taking her to school or uh, dropping her off at one of her camps, like she loves this Bible camp that she goes to. She loves it. Like, great. But every time I drop her off, open up the door, look at the very nice woman checking her in smile at her, I give her a little kiss, and I go, remember, no white people in the Bible. 
and you just see this lady. She's just veins coming out. She's just like she's got she's got her her, her white preppy jeans uh, picture. He's right there. You know, right, like, right, 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 right. Like, right. so you know how it looked. You got a lot yeah, of drawings yeah. of him, or yeah, you know, someone said, oh, you know, I heard this kid say the f word, and I said, okay. Like, yeah, it's just, it's disgusting. I'm like, is, is that the worst thing we got to really worry about? I go, by the way, do you know the history of the word and where it came from? The etymology of the word. Like, it's a curse word and it means sex. I'm like, actually, no, it's a, it's a Northern European farming term when they would go get cabbage in the fall, right before it froze, when the ground was wet and thick and you would take the hoe and swing it into the ground and make a fuck sound. And you would go fuck cabbage. So, I mean, you know, and then I spin it all on him. I'm like, I guess you're against farmers. That's good to know. You know, no, you're not against farmers. I did, well, I didn't know. I'm like, oh, so you're making mm-hmm. irrational judgments and, and attacking someone saying they have a, you know, and instead of, and I never understood, it's like, instead of saying, oh, that's a, it's a, that's a bad word. It's, it's right. just not right, used in context. My kid right. was new, she slipped, she hit her knee, she said, shit, I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> I was like, context, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just, yeah. It, but I don't, because I don't want to hold, I'm not here to put handcuffs on. I'm, I'm not, I don't have the crazy kid who's running around at midnight outside. We got rules, you know, and the first two are manners matter and listening matters. Yeah. And, and if, if, you, if you don't have those two, then we can't do anything else. We can't do anything else, you know. And she's just yeah. like, "Well, I'm like, no, man, we can't. Like, we we can't go get caught. We can't go get donuts together. We we don't do nothing. If manners don't matter, and listening doesn't matter. There, there's no basis. We've got nowhere else to go. And and that that's so important. Yeah, you, you know, manners are like the uh, the lubricant that allows socialization to happen without friction, you know, mm-hmm. it, 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 it goes back to what we're talking about between police altercations, you know, and like being a citizen and knowing, look, man, you, you've got rights as a citizen, but you, everyone, like, it's my right, it's my right. But see, you only inherit the benefits of being, having rights through taking the responsibilities of citizenship. There's also, when you look up what your rights are, in, in go to, you know, whitehouse.gov or go to government.gov and you just Google like, what are your rights as an American citizen? Underneath your rights are responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, are, are, are you entitled to your rights without being responsible? <laughs> so your responsibility as a citizen is to be able to comply with the law and you're entitled to all your rights that protect your liberties as an individual. But if you know who you are as a citizen and you speak like a citizen and you use manners and you address others with respect, chances are nothing's going to happen to you. True. In fact, good things are going to happen to you, quite honestly. Yeah. I've had so many situations do complete 180s when I've just sincerely said, you know, I've complied you know, and I've spoken the language of politeness as a citizen. And, you know, I was given my license back and I was, you know, treated with respect. And it was something that was kind of like, hey, this is just a routine thing, you know, just 
fine, let you go. It's like, chances are <laughs> being able to speak your mind and articulate yourself without emotions or reactions or assumptions can really like bless your daily walk. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, it's the word, like, you know, when people say like, there's a truth, there's like right now in the world, there's just so much craziness with like, is there, like I, I've asked this question before to 10 different people, just as a social, social experiment. I was like, is there objective truth? And seven out of 10 of those people said, no, huh. these are very, these are very smart people. They're, they're more into the moral relativism thing. They believe that circumstances and individual kind of perception determine the reality of truth. And I said, you're wrong, but thank you for sharing. You're wrong. Because I asked them, I told them they were wrong. After I asked them again, I said, I asked them a second question. I said, so do you believe in karma? And all of them said, yes. So the seven people who said, no, you know, there's no objective truth. And then I asked them, is there karma? And they said, yes, they do believe in karma. I laid out the argument of cognitive dissonance. I said, you, you have two contradicting things. So if, if karma exists, then there has to be objective truth. Because yeah, because there has to be something to come back to. Who created karma? Yeah. So... So it's like, okay, but that's what you're seeing in the world today. You're seeing people operate under these assumptions and they're not following the, these natural laws that govern the universe. And I think if you can operate under the golden rule, the natural laws, you know, karma, do unto others, just adhere to that as best as you can, you will avoid everything in most cases you'll avoid everything that puts most people in dire situations and circumstances where they have to suffer yeah to suffer i agree we're uh, we're at that point in the movie where uma just od'd and they uh, they did the big shot to the chest we both alluded on it i right. wonder for for you you know um with ayahuasca it's one that's one that i haven't had the privilege to take yet uh, what did that illuminate for you? What did, what did you see differently than you would see, let's say, from shrooms? Where I mean, I I love shrooms. I think you know that the the insight to it is great. Um, it's weird. I love shrooms for the insight it gives me. Right. I mean, I remember looking at a mirror and look back at me. It's like, come here. We got to talk. I can't lock it up again. Come on, grounded. Right. Right. Ground. Right. Yeah. Whereas artificial intelligence in the drug world like lsd doesn't take you to that place it alters no. the world around you just like shrooms do but yeah. it doesn't take you to your place it takes you out of your place and there's no healing in it so though it's right. fun to run around and think the clouds are purple and and and, and t-rexes are, are are shitting twinkies great but you don't learn anything you don't do anything whereas three hours with shrooms you can come out of that and really be energized for life and, and, and wanting to see the world differently. And, and I wonder what that next level is with ayahuasca as, as you've taken it a couple of times. Yeah. Um, 
to elaborate on the two contrasting kind of experiences mm -hmm. yeah um, I mean, mushrooms for me are very much this kind of roller coaster ride where there's an intense kind of self evaluation. Um, and then it explodes into pure bliss and just realizing that, you know, it's kind of like, um, <clears throat> it's kind of like the cosmic drama. And then it's, it's this, uh, you know, um, almost like carnival esque like the dark carnival, like mushrooms feel like a dark carnival where everything is like, can be really absurd in its cruelty, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and you get this very um, stark polarization of experiences that if you attach to the, and identify with these kind of darker things and you start projecting yourself and then you realize, oh, this is just, this is, I just made this up. Like, this isn't even real. And look, look how serious I was about this. And I'm such an idiot, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you get into this thing where it's like, it, the, it forces you to look at your own, the, the nature of your own fragility and absurdity and the seriousness of taking yourself as such a, an important thing. I'm so important, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, we're nothing now. We're, we're, we're a kite in a storm, you know? But but then you, ayahuasca, because, and this is something that, you know, some early, early 60s uh, psychedelic pioneers, you know, the, um, you know, they, there was a, like Gordon Watson was very concerned with like, versus kind of say, uh, Timothy Leary, they were all just like, you know, we don't need cultural context we don't need indigenous culture we don't need the traditions of the ancestors to create a uh, a bubble in which the experience is kind of curated and and cared for we just need to just get out of our minds and open up that part of our mind and just let go of like our cultural programming and just get out there but ayahuasca because it's so connected and rooted and it is this uh beautiful tradition of expressing through the plant chemistry and mediating the consciousness of they call it the vine of the souls so it's it's the it's the literal the soul of the jungle the it, it gets into your blood it stays with you it it it, it, it tears every possible artificial uh, self-imposed, identity that you could possibly conceivably create about yourself it will systematically expose all those things and systematically remove them from you until you're left with pure surrender and that surrender requires you in sometimes the darkest most fearful most abandoned moments of your entire life in retrospect as you go back and revisit them it will demand that you relinquish those things to her and reunite with the source of the magic and the mystery that is life. Life is not, as in the words of Terence McKenna, life is not a problem for scientists and sociologists to figure out. Life is a living mystery. Mm -hmm. And we have, the, we have the ability to open our eyes. Uh, and as long as we're faithfully 
and courageously committed to abandoning this dead and dying world that we're all just participating in like a fucking charade. You know, it's like, we, are, we know that the only thing, think about it, in the course of human history, our society has to, has to go to such extreme measures to, allow, to, to create an artificial reality that is so graphic and so stimulating and so over the top that the only thing that could ever guide us away from this would be the interdimensional astral integration of the planet itself in the 4.6 billion years of sentient beings that have contributed and existed in this world, that would be the only thing that could satisfy and satiate the curious mind of, of the human, this monkey human hybrid thing that we are, that could get us off the crack that we've constructed for us to live in some derivative, soulless, sterile world where we'll just give up who we are, give up our bodies, give up our free will. It's like, wait a second, man. This vine that's been handed down in the cup for you to partake in will just dissolve everything that you think you are and make you aware of that you're immortal. And that as long as you align with life, as long as you identify with life, then you'll forever have a space your mind, your soul will go where the mind is focused on. Your energy will flow through the through this fountain. And wow. so I like ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is like the great mother that just she doesn't coddle you. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't uh, candy coat it. She gives you the bitterness of what mother nature does when you see a calf that's just born that's eaten by wolves mm -hmm. you know but but in in the brutality of that pure pure life you're stripped of illusions and you're reoriented and you're grounded and you're rooted on this on the mothership man the spaceship we're all riding on you know she's the, we're already on a spaceship flying through space y'all we that's don't right jeff Jeff Bezos doesn't need a giant metal penis. <laughs> I, I find it interesting, right? I mean, I, I find two things really, really interesting about what you said. One is, is that self-accountability again? Is that is that holding in and and understanding that I mean we we we've constructed a world where we don't have to deal with our worlds. Right? And we, we've constructed this world where we don't have to deal with anything else anymore. I don't have to go outside and see my shitty lawn or work on it or make it better. I've got a great lawn inside. I just put my little headset on. And I don't think people realize what they're giving up when they're giving up the ability to be out and be real. And they're like, well, I get to express myself in a video game. I'm not saying you don't. Right. I'm just saying that you're not. Because if you think you're expressing yourself in an artificial world with an artificial face, with an artificial voice, where everything is fake, you're not. That doesn't mean you can't go there and try things out and have fun with friends. But if you really want to express yourself, I personally believe you've got to do that in, the, in a physical way. I mean, up until a couple of months, probably three months ago now, 
at almost 50, man, I loved hooping. I love playing basketball. I most love playing basketball because it pads my ego because there's still 20 somethings that I can still get. <laughs> you still, you got shot. that good. You got that first step, huh? You still got, got that, that first step? I got that first step. I've got that long three pointer and I've got a hook shot and they don't know what a hook shot is. They don't, mm. <laughs> they're like, what is going on? But, you know, my wife and she'd be like, hey, she, sometimes you come home and you are just beat up. You can't walk hardly the next day. And then she'll see some of the guys I hoop against. You know, my boy, Chris, man, he's like 6'6", six, six, he's 250, solid muscle. And I'm like, hit a game winner on him. And she's like, him? I was like, got lucky. And, but I love that. I love that physicality. I love that thing. And I did some partial tears in the ACL, PCL, MCL, and meniscus on one knee. Went to the doctor. She looks, she goes, I'm surprised the left one didn't give out first, you know? Mm. So I resolute basketball's probably over for me and I'm okay with that. Now I gave myself a pity party for a couple of days. What am I going to do? How can I, how can I express, you know, this? And then I grabbed that kettlebell that I bought at the beginning of the lockdown. I went in that garage when it's 95 outside and it's 110 in there. I put a sweat vest on and I said, be miserable in here. Because at the end of the day, that basketball's miserable. Having a 25-year-old kid who played D1 scorch you for 20 points is miserable. Having a guy who's 50 pounds more than you beat on you in the post can be miserable. But it's a good misery. It's a good feeling because it's real because I can't replicate mm. that. I, I'll figure out a cheat code to a game, but there's no cheat code to that. There's no. Yeah. The hook shot yeah. works because I've been doing the hook shot since 1978. Damn, son. That's some Wilt <laughs> Chamberlain shit. Some cream Abdul Jabbar coming around. There you, you, go. Know? <laughs> you, you know, and I'm sure, you know, when you're on the court, there's the trash talk element. And when you're swinging mm -hmm. that kettlebell, you can be protagonist and antagonist you can you can you can talk that the, you can david goggins that self-talk and you know like nah yeah. you ain't gonna quit man you ain't gonna be a little bitch man you five know more. five more yeah. I do wall sits do a wall sit if i check that clock before two minutes i do three sets of three minutes and then i do 200 jump ropes so my warm-up this will get going boom wall sits i check before two minutes you got an extra 30 seconds, son. You might want to say, refocus your brain mm. because it's just two minutes. It's not that long to not look at your phone, to not look at the timer, to look at the clock on the wall. Right. You know, and, you know, count the sweat beats, do something else, figure, but get lost in the misery and the pain because when you're tired at the end, you're tired for a good reason. Right. I mean, you know this better than I do. You've you're from from martial arts to skateboarding to to working out to everything that you're doing, the discipline you have in your life. It's not easy. Mm. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain. And, you know, there's um, there's this resolute grit, you know, this um, unwavering. You know, it's part of it's just habit, you know, I mean, I feel I really feel for people right now 
that have kind of neglected that muscle of free will. And now they're in a situation where everyone around them, even healthy people, are considered sick people to them because they have been sick their whole life and they haven't had healthy habits. And so their insecurities are being projected on anyone and everyone. And I mean, I get that, you know, I understand that. But, you know, I really, like you said, back to exactly what you said, people sell themselves short way too fast. And none of us can definitively, definitively answer the question, why are human beings uniquely endowed with free will? You know, our ability, our ability to choose to remember our mistakes and choose to improve through choice who we want to be and our personal development, you know, and evolving different skills in the arts or whatever we choose. It because there is that question of where does our free will come from and what are we capable of if we can master that free will? Because that's not definitively answered. There's a lot of work I feel everyone should be doing, including, including myself, because you know what? There's no handbook. There's no definitive, there's no doctor's report, no peer-reviewed studies. There's no consensus. There's no giant tome of a million pages that says, well, if you do this for your whole life, then when you die, you'll end up here doing this. Yeah. Because I, because I do believe that, you know, people say like Sam Harris, for example, recently, you know, he, he lays out this case and I'm nowhere near the intellect of Sam Harris, but I, I, I will dispute this position he takes till the day I die because he says that there's no free will. And, that, and I'm like, then why would companies invest in algorithms to determine our choices for us if there wasn't free will? If there wasn't arbitrary you know, choices to be made within the plethora of choices, and then every time we make a choice, the statistical probability of a computer anticipating what the next choice would be and then providing the choices for us, that wouldn't exist if there wasn't free will because they're trying to narrow the scope of free will. So that implies that free will already exists. And, and when we die, when we leave this earth, we leave something behind. It's called your will. Your free will is what you leave when you depart your body. It's what you leave behind. And so this whole idea of people not knowing who they are and giving up on themselves way too soon has got to stop because the gold rush made millions, millionaires out of average everyday working people that were just willing to dig. Where are the people out here that are willing to dig inside themselves to discover the riches that are unequivocally more valuable than some rock in the ground that you'll realize when you depart this existence that you'll inherit because you didn't, your existence wasn't a part of some collective thing, some product that you chose a path of authenticity, that you chose the road less traveled. Like that's what I fucking wanna do, man. And I know I don't do it to the best of my abilities. And that's, that's the point. But that's the point, that's There's, progress, right? It's progress versus perfection. And right. people get lost in that stream. 
because they're like, yeah, but it's, it needs to be this, or I don't want to do it. Hey, man, I, I remember eight kettlebell swings was tough and my knee hurt. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to stop. And that David Dawkins, that guy, tell you, he's like, yeah, I do 12 now. And I'm just so arrogant on the inside. And so there's just, there's a fire and somebody like, oh, you're angry or whatever it may be, but I'm just, I'm that. I'm like, no, I'm gonna do 12 now. I have to, because, because I have to, because right. I was 320 pounds, bald with a red goatee running around LA, winded, you know, crossing the street. And, you know, people are like, oh, so, well, you did it, but that doesn't mean I have to do it. I'm like, I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm just saying you have to challenge yourself. I'm just saying you have to dig inside because there's no likes, there's no Instagram hearts, there's no other comments. It's you commenting on you. It's you liking you. I always tell my kid, she was one of the proudest moments of a father. She was with all the other older girls and on the trampoline at someone else's house. And they said, we're playing house and Harper, you're grounded. Got to go into the corner of the trampoline. So now I'll play that game. Like, well, sorry, you're grounded. She's like, okay. Grabbed her shoes, unzipped the side of the trampoline, came home. Against older kids. She's like, nah, I like myself too much. I'm not gonna be treated that way. And I was like, kid, it used to be, my goal used to be, be better than me. But shit, at seven, you've done it. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta raise the bar, I apologize. I got to raise the bar some more. But if you look inside yourself, if you don't care, and I don't mean don't care in a bad way. I mean, don't care in a, in a way of, I like myself enough. I know who I am. I know my strengths and weaknesses. I know where I can be better. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not discouraged by saying I'm wrong. I'm encouraged because it means I got to be right soon because I've, I'm going to learn something. You know, and, and everyone wants to play this game of I'm not wrong, you know, and, and it's both sides. I mean, unfortunately, we see it a lot in politics today, right? We just do. Whether it's Nancy Pelosi, you know, and she's like, oh, I didn't go get my hair cut. I was tricked. Right, right, right. It's like, you were tricked, you know, oh, okay. That doesn't seem reasonable, but then just doubles down on it, you know. Right, you got you're you're third in line with the nuke codes. Yeah, <laughs> you got you got tricked, and you got tricked to get your hair cut. You know the, mm -hmm. the mayor of of Chicago. Do you know? Do as I say, not as I do. Well, I'm a public figure. I've got to look good. First of all, ma'am, I don't. You don't look good. You don't. You know, I I jokingly always say I got a face for radio and a, and a voice for silent movies, but. Hey man, just be just be honest. All right. I'm not going and running a marathon, but I'm also not complaining or saying, well, I've got to do special training because I'm a marathon runner. I got the shoes. Right. <laughs> no, right. you don't. But they just, you know, they don't, there, there's that thing where they don't want to hold themselves accountable at all. This if they keep pushing the narrative, I'm going to keep doing it. It's a disease, man. It that is that disease. right there. That's a disease. That's that. I, that's the disease we should go after. You're exactly right. You know, um, I've had a number of kind of relationships that just haven't worked out, and um, the the fundamental the fundamental crux of 
the of why they dissolved was they were very spiritual in terms of like if you were going to go down a list of what someone who called themselves spiritual would do with their day they mm -hmm. you could check all the boxes except for the one most important aspect of being a spiritual person is when you're wrong admitting to the person that you claim to love that you were wrong and that you want to make amends that you're sorry it it seems as though pride gets in the way of people when they say things you know like there's the book the four agreements right mm -hmm. by don miguel ruiz it's a very popular book and people who are spiritual they read the book and it's kind of like you know one of the one of the four of the agreements is be impeccable with your word another one is you know don't make assumptions so you kind of have this thing where constantly assuming and would say the most horrible things and would give themselves a pass and yet would claim to be the most spiritual person like the morning devotional reading the book burning the incense lighting the candles doing the tea doing the meditation doing the yoga but free reigns to say things to someone you claim to love that you would never say to anyone else you wouldn't say to a perfect stranger and so when you can't understand in very basic practical terms that when you claim to love someone and that's an excuse because you're wrapped up in feelings for them that you can unload the most toxic wounds and traumas because the same wires are connected to this person this new person which was me the same wires were connected and so you can stream that data from that trauma that you have yet to resolve that unconscious trauma into, into me but yet you don't have the character to understand that a true spiritual person as jesus would say said repent and sin no more what does that mean it just means say you're sorry yeah you don't have to say you're, you don't have to say you're sorry to god when you say you're sorry to this person that you love god says i am love god is love so if you claim to love someone say you're sorry to god say you're sorry to that person mm -hmm. and then don't repeat the same mistakes which is for me making a mistake and learning not to do it especially when someone else's heart is there in the way is the most spiritual thing that you can do but somehow people are not connected people think that spirituality is reading self-help books or like or you know doing some kind of chanting or getting your chakras realigned or some shit i'm like just be kind and when you fuck up with someone that you love just say i'm sorry i did not mean to say those things i love you very much you did not deserve for me to say those things to you and i will try my best and i hope you understand that because of my feelings for you sometimes you, i just get wound up and i'm sorry yep that that right there that sincerity right there would make relationships work would make marriages come back together it would be the salvation of the family 
But some people, man, some people have so much pride that they will not put themselves down and receive the love that they truly want in life, that they truly deserve in life because they let their own pride get in the way. And back to ayahuasca and psychedelics, those are the things that will remove that pride from me. They will unobstruct that, they, that mechanism. They do it. I was, um, I did a mushroom trip before I had my daughter. And one of the things I do with her now all the time, how's dad doing? How am I? How can I be better? And people are like, you don't ask a five-year-old how you can be better. You're the boss. Like, this is the one relationship she didn't choose. She didn't pick me. She got stuck with me and I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. I remember one time I asked her, how am I doing? And she goes, you know, I, dad, I don't want you to be upset. I don't, I don't like it when you raise your voice. And I was like, hey. Okay. It's a hot, it's a hostile world out here, honey. When you get older, you, you're going to know what I'm talking about. But okay. All right. Okay. I'll get, I'll figure out how to get my point across differently. I'm an adult. I can do that. So a couple months goes by, she grabs my hand. She goes, Hey, you know, you haven't yelled in a long time. Thank you. I gave her the space to talk to me. I gave it to her with sincerity. And then she held on to it, and remembered it and knew how to come back. And, it, and the reality is I bring it up because she was five at the time. Mm. Hey folks, it works to your point if you're sincere. If you're not sincere, if you want to just be like, hey, what could that do to be better? Would you like a better treat? Would you like to do fun lunch Friday? Like, what can I, you know, did I forget to pack your water again? You know, dumb shit. Okay, fine. But if you want to be sincere and grow and understand people, not everyone responds the way I communicate. Okay, how can I be better? What can I do differently? I mean, the only things I don't change are the things that are mine. This podcast, I get people who email in and like, you missed the favorite part of my movie. I'm like, I don't know who you are and I don't know what movie you're referring to. So these are two things where I'm, I'm lost. And you're probably the same person who does one-star Yelp reviews. Man, you know, it's- How did you, how did you know? <laughs> I am that guy. That's right. You a one-star sir. <laughs> telling you man some healthy criticism is what the world needs sometimes it just you need to you need the healthy criticism you need to learn how to take it first to your point right yeah. i mean and ayahuasca yeah. and, and mushrooms do that you criticizing you in the most honest way that you talk that's the best part right is that it's there's no dancing like if my wife, there's criticizes no, me, there's no hiding, man. There's, there's no, no hiding, hiding, right? My wife criticizes me. I can be like, well, the language she used, that's not how we talk in Montana. And she's from Kentucky. Not have that kind of language here. You can get away with it a little bit, right? You can find your, your loopholes and run through them if you want to, if you don't want to be mm -hmm. held accountable. Right. Shrooms and ayahuasca don't let you do that nonsense. Nope. <laughs>
<laughs> they're like, hey, this is how you talk to people. This is how you talk to yourself. Hang on, we're going for a ride. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's also there's uh, the phenomena of you have popular like set and setting, you know, and the role of set and setting when it comes to being in altered states, and how most people, uh, the you know, the normalization of these altered states in context of people that just want to get out of their mind and have a good time, you know, and like, you know, drugs play a role. I'm actually reading a very old book right here. It's called The Natural Mind. It's by this author I'm sure you're familiar with. Oh, Andrew. Andrew, yeah. Andrew Well, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so guy's like a wizard. But um, he, he, he worked with Timothy Leary actually in Stanford, but he's been around forever. He's a great guy. Um, but you, there's a natural tendency for humans to experience altered states. And there's a number of reasons why we're geared that way. But there's the, you know, the culturally constructive sanctioned altered states of alcohol and cigarettes and, you know, like, uh, well, you know, now we're getting into cannabis more. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's an association that lacks the cultural context. There's no rites of passage. There's no community that uh, there's no ancestors in the altered state that you can that you can interact with. There's there's no connection to the earth. You know, it's just let me let me take this substance and I'll keep playing video games or whatever. And so the phenomena has evolved where you know a lot of people when they take mushrooms or ayahuasca or something that has a deeper kind of older spirit within it you know mm -hmm. and an intelligence that's like a reservoir of human conscious experience that you kind of inherit when you take the substance that it kind of it freaks people the hell out and it's because most people look at drugs and altered states as this kind of one thing it's like in miami you have got tons of party drugs people that do ecstasy it's so funny I have people that they look at me and I don't do meth or, or Coke or, or, or MDMA or anything like that. You know, although there's some therapeutic applications for MDMA and I know mm -hmm. that co cocaine is like a schedule two, it has medical benefits and all this stuff, but because they do party drugs and their idea of an altered state is, you know, going to space nightclub and like making out with as many people as they can, or hopefully hooking up with some swinger couple and like, you know, doing some crazy stuff. And I'm like, that's why when you take the medicine, when you take ayahuasca or you take mushrooms and you're, you're, you're grounded that you have to go through all of this hardwiring that you've laid down because of your party drug life and your excess and all of this artificial, all these shadows in your mind that you've created. I have so many friends that they, they're like, they're like, I don't know how you can do mushrooms and ayahuasca, David. I have to have, I have to have control. I have to know that what I'm doing is like, you know, safe. And I'm like, 
you're literally putting yourselves in the hands of the devil when you go out and you snort coke and you're like you're yeah. off some hooker hooker's ass and you're like you're doing the craziest stuff ever and i'm like and you're gonna look at me because i'm picking something out of the earth and putting it in my mouth like we no wonder no wonder the world is fractured right now and there's people that are just like wanting basic human rights like in australia and their whole country is on lockdown because of like five cases of an illness that has a 99.7 survival rate no wonder no wonder that there's this phenomena happening where people are getting their rights their human rights stripped from them over what it's because we don't have that connection to what is real anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, do you do you think? I mean, when you look at you know what's going on today, and it, it, globally, and, and where people are pushing back, and where they're you know um, bending bending knee, if you will, does it give you pause and a sense of sadness or? Uh, do you think there's a point where um, there's a piece of light? Because I'm, I'm a little torn, right? Uh, I think there's there's moments of light. You know, I, I look at this COVID and mass vaccination, everything that's going on right now, uh, the same way I historically would look at stopping alcohol prohibition. Got a group? Nope bad and then another group's going to come to power and they're going to take it away the difference is the cycle is shorter because not just the election cycles are shorter but or not though they're the same but the cycle of the person being in power and not having to you know they start campaigning I mean, the fact that biden's already starting to campaign blows my mind but they start campaigning whenever you know a year and a half into the game so that's what i mean by it being a shorter cycle but it's it's, it's one of those things where i go the government's not been good traditionally, especially after prohibition at doing mass inoculation of anything. And I think in my mind, that's been a good thing. Uh, I hope it continues on that track. And I'm not telling people not to get vaccinated. I'm telling people to, are you living a healthy lifestyle? Are you, are, you know, are you exercising? Are you getting out in the sun? It's gross to me that if I get the vaccination, I get Krispy Kreme donuts, but I don't get a free month at Gold's Gym. 100%. And, you know, there's, a, there's always this manipulation of optics. And, I mean, just today there was a, or yesterday, there was a CDC study where they admitted that the CDC is no longer factoring in vaccinated um, COVID cases. So people that have obtained vaccination or multiple booster shot vaccinations and are still contracting variants of the COVID virus, mm -hmm. they're not being included in the overall count of COVID cases. And so what this sets up is, is this sets up this narrative of that the epidemic that the mainstream media was, has been running for a while is, is that this is an epidemic of the unvaccinated. And so people that are standing for their own personal choice and want informed consent, they want the government to say, what exactly is in this? 
We want clinical, you know, trials that can be peer reviewed for safety standards. Polio was we, 35 we, years in the making, the vaccination, 35 yeah. years in the making. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with demanding informed consent. And if they can't produce that information, then you're participating in an experiment. And just like the same manufacturers of the vaccines produced the opioid epidemic post you know, 2008 economic crash, mm-hmm. coincidentally, um, and you have mothers that have lost their kids from OD and then eventually became heroin addicts that they couldn't do anything about because these companies are immune to prosecution. And so you have, you have an untested, um, you know, experimental drug that's being coercively marketed, forcefully demanded and mandated in some cases that there's no recourse if injury occurs and you don't know what it is or what it's going to do. And furthermore, there's a study of, out of Israel that just said that if you have natural immunity to COVID, you're 13 times less likely to contract it, even if you've been vaccinated. Yeah. So, so mean, there's- We've got so a beautiful study. system, right? And you study yeah. it. Yeah. And that system that this, the, our, eco, our ecological system inside, the pros and cons of all of us being different. It's, we're, we're at a weird why in the road. We've celebrated differences for so long. And now everything's coalescing into one piece of mush. And now people are starting to realize, oh, wait. I mean, I, I told a friend, I was like, hey, man, I've been doing marketing PR for 25 years. Been pretty good at it. Done okay. This marketing of the va- vaccine, do you think you're just going to make one statement and everyone gets it? No. The same people that want me to take it were the same people three years ago that said drug companies are bad, they're evil, we need to take their power away from them. You know, and then you're telling me it's free. It's not free, I paid for it. So you might want to market to some people as this is free, right? And that's okay. But if you're going to be savvy, if you're going to treat this the way you treat your body, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Unique ecosystems. I want to. I want to. The country's the same way, and the arrogance of just saying, "I'm going to tell you to do it, and you should do it." Right. Right. Versus, if you really want to market to me, market to me. Market to me, Jason. Right. You paid for this. Don't let it go to waste. Hey, that's a good point. Thank you very much. Hey, you know what, you guys? Um, this vaccine. You're going to get it you can still transfer to someone else, which before they said that wasn't possible. Now the CDC is like, you can still transfer it. Oops, our bad. Hence the new masking again. But more importantly, like if you would have just said, hey, this just makes it less. Like if they would have just said that, hey, this vaccine, it does one thing. It makes it a little less. So even those people that are really vulnerable, that didn't take life too seriously, that not only just don't work out, right? But they just don't. They eat poorly and also not, not taking the responsibility to address those problems, right? We, don't, we, still, haven't, we still haven't even 
taken a layer back into addressing that problem in any way, shape or form. But if they would have just done that part, just that part, think about how many more people would have been vaccinated. How many more people would have done something because of the honesty versus the dishonesty? Yeah. And it goes back, I think, to what we were talking about earlier about relationships, about initial conversations. I'll give you myself. I'll let you know whatever you want to know. I'll let you know where I feel guilty in life. I'll let you know where I, where I feel great in life. One of my greatest guilts in life is I, am a, I have a very addictive personality, but I don't get addicted. So I have friends that are in recovery. I don't know what that's like. If the drug is gone, the drug's gone, I don't care. I move on to something else. I don't care. I just like a form of stimulation in some capacity, whatever that may be, working out, spending time with my kids, swimming, watching a show. I don't care. Other people, they find something and then raised in right on it. But I feel tremendous guilt for that. Not like it's a superpower, but because I don't think I'm sensitive enough to my friends that have, that are, that have gone through or in recovery because I don't mm. understand them because I'll never understand it because it doesn't mean anything to me. Right. Recovery, I've never had a hangover in my life. I've never suffered side effects of a drug before ever in my life. So I don't know. So I don't have the empathy. I mean, I have the empathy for it, but I don't, I don't there's no base in that empathy, right? Right. <laughs> it's not. And so that's where I'm different. That's where I find my failures and successes. That's where I, I, I need to articulate and, and be better. But I understand that because I have different people around me. And I don't live in a, in a world where my corners are cushioned and people don't get their feelings hurt. Shit, everyone gets their feelings hurt around me. It is the part of life. But if you walk away and never talk to me because your feelings got hurt, then we were never meant to hang out. Because at some point in time, you're going to hurt my feelings. You just are. But am I going to learn and find out where that pain came from? Was it because I was weak? Was it because, you know, whatever it may be? Or can I then, if it's not that, can I articulate to you and say, hey, man, I just want to talk to you real quick. That thing you said, I appreciate where you're coming from, but, you know, um, this is where it hit me wrong. Honesty, vulnerability. I mean, it's, it, it is a theme in this podcast all of a sudden. Not all of a sudden. Shouldn't have been talked for almost two hours. But it should be a theme in everyone's life, I think. You know, and holding yourself accountable. I, I, I find myself when I'm around my friends who have gone through recovery, I don't talk about certain things. It's not that I'm censoring myself. I'm just, you know, they probably don't want to hear that nonsense. It's like my religious friends don't want to hear me talk about after spending four years in Bible college where they're wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and does that facilitate anything as far as compassion, understanding, admitting you're wrong, understanding how to grow and be better? Does that mean that they're not challenged? Not at all. I challenge them all the time. I just do a little more respectfully now because I want them in my life because they're, 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 they're good. They're good people. They think differently than me. If I'm around the same people that think the same way I do, hey man, I'm sorry, I'm fucked. 
I'm fucked. I don't grow anymore. I'll use this last analogy. And I know you want to say something. Life is like this for me. If you're on Everest, you're in the highest point. You're the best you can be. Highest point. And you don't think you can grow anymore. You're right. Because nothing grows on top of Everest. When you're lowest point in life, you're in the Amazon. And sometimes that depth is so low, there's so much growth that you have to do that you can't even see the sun. But when you're actually perfect is when you're in the fields of gold, waist high. You can still see, but you can still grow. You're still challenged to walk. There's some in front of you, but the challenge isn't so overwhelming that you won't stop. Now, obviously we know people that still stop in those fields. A majority of people do, but that's your optimum place for growth and for continuance past whatever shell we're living in, in my humble opinion. Yeah, man, dead on, man, 100%. That's a great, great way to look at it. That'll stick with me. I like it. I like that. I got to, you've given me a lot to stick with, and I, I appreciate that. It's, uh, it's a crazy world we live in, you know, and I, um, I find it sad that uh, people like yourself that want to ask questions or that um, have a different perspective. And you don't seem like the person who's locked into the perspective. You just, you have questions that, that align to the perspective. You want to answer the questions, great. But if you don't, I'm locked in. And it's sad that in this environment, people are empowered to ridicule questioning. Because remember, there was a time when this earth was flat and the religious right who controlled communication ensured that the world was flat. You know, and I bring that up and people look at me and they go, well, Jay, we don't have the knowledge we have today. I go, here's the hard part about the knowledge today. It's the hardest part. We have all the knowledge in the world, but we never backed up the education behind it to turn it into wisdom. So we know that tomato is a fruit and we put that fucking fruit in the fruit salad and ruin it every time. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, that's the thing, man. We, uh, we definitely have a lot of information, but not a lot of wisdom. That gnosis yeah. comes from walking the path. You got to walk the path, and, you know. got to be and, wrong. And, and you got to be lonely sometimes. Yeah. You, you got to be down, and you got to accept the downs. You know, every season, there's a reason. You got to go through the, the dark times and through the mud. And, and, and that's, all, that's all part of the joy of it, actually is without that contrast living in a one season world is you'll find people that just express this one season soul and mm -hmm. there's no it, you know imagine imagine if you could you know sit down with uh you know your favorite artist and entertainer and it's like it's very rare that you hear someone who can just 
has that that resonance to their voice when they sing or when they play an instrument there's just a there's just a level of complexity to the sound and to their voice that just there's so much soul there and that soul wasn't created through taking the pass of least resistance or not having their heart broken or not having things go their way all the time ideal circumstances you know you see it all the time you know you got parents that are just well off you know and they just have the best intentions for their kid and they just want to give them all every advantage and then you know you put this kid in a class where they have a kid who's less fortunate who just has it in their bones man because that's where it comes from comes from that real connection to life that soul, that resonance that you just can't buy. It's ironic, right? Mm-hmm. You want to give, you want to spare your kids the sufferings in life by providing the best for them. But in reality, what's best for them is most of the time, the sufferings in life, which bring to light all of the blessings and abundance that they've been given. And the character that you've, that, that, that you've allowed them to, to create, right? it's it's a it's a it's crazy I, I couldn't agree with you more that's so spot on it's like this delicate balance i don't want my kid to grow up like i grew up dad comes home drunk in the middle of the night starts punching you and then you start blocking him and you're in your sleep and he goes man i'm you're such a pussy you have such fast hands i wish you would have been a boxer i'm like i wish i didn't wake up this way but you know what <laughs> this is the world we live in i never want my kid to go through that but she's got to go through some struggles. She's got to cry. She's got to have the pain of, of failure to know what real success tastes like. She's got to have that whimsical, overblown self-confidence. And I, and I mean this in a good way. She's got to have that bubble pricked a little bit. She's got to release a little bit of that air. Only so you know you can fill it up again. See, I think people miss that point. Why would you, why would you say that? And it's like, because. It's like, yeah, but it ruined the self-confidence. I'm like, no, it's going to fill up somewhere else because it's going to fill up with real self-confidence through real growth, through real experience. Otherwise, what's the point? If it's all fake and artificial and then we live in this artificial world and no one says no to you and if you lose your life, you just got to spend five more bucks to get the credits, you got to keep playing again. What's the fucking point? Right. Yeah, you got to be able to connect. And the only way you can connect is to have as many inputs, you know, connectors as possible. And then you obtain that through experience. You do. What is, um, as a young man growing up, you know, uh, what did you want to be? What did you want to do? Uh, well... As early as I can remember, I, you know, my dad was in the Air Force, so I was either going to be a fighter pilot or I was going to be a priest, according to him, you know. <laughs> That's quite a juxtapose, by the way. I mean, that is yeah, yeah, AZ yeah, right yeah. there. What was, what was the leaning towards the priest and what was the leaning towards the fighter pilot? Well, my dad was a co-pilot for uh, AWACS, reconnaissance planes in Vietnam. 
Oh, wow. Okay. And so, so, so when I, you know, was as a kid, I, you know, like he would get all these, you know, he'd have medals and, you know, he'd have like patches and stuff. And I would just like research the patch and have my little book of like, you know, military planes and weapons of death and shit, you know? So I was, <laughs> I was all, I was all into the, into the, the aerospace world as a kid and like weapons and like, camouflage and symbols and all this weird shit you know and then and my dad I, I think my dad saw the horrors of war my dad was shot down in Cambodia and he was exposed to Agent Orange and when he came back from the war you can visibly see in the pictures that he was a very different man there was a darkness in my dad's eyes and so I think he just I think being a Catholic you know, my grandfather was a Marine. He was the first Marine Corps battalion to step foot in Tokyo after they surrendered after the bomb. Um, you know, you look at his billfold where he had like a picture of the Pope and like would say prayers and just like devout Catholic. I think they really solidified their beliefs through their experience. And I, I imagine they spent very hopeless, dark days praying to God. And that was the, those were the, the tools for which they interfaced with God. And so there was a, there's a big belief in being a Catholic. And so um, that was my introduction to, to Jesus. And so I was the youngest person to be confirmed in the Catholic faith in the state of Virginia. When I was confirmed in 1988, I was 12 years old. And actually, no, that was 85. I was 12 years old. And um I was five years old and I was already, you know, singing in the, in the, the boys choir. I was already, uh, uh, a altar boy. I was already just like going down the road of, were you also doing martial arts, skateboarding, other things at the same time as well? Sports. All, all, all that, all that came, all that came later as, as, becoming as a military kid every three years you uproot you leave your you know your dad gets a new duty station so you're you leave your friends behind and you um you abandon them and so uh the ritual of every three years kind of making friends and breaking friends um you kind of develop like a callous kind of self-preservation mechanism of just wanting to be a little shy and to want to be introverted and, and to get into your own thing. So that's where like martial arts and, and, you know, I did team sports, but it was like, as soon as I was kind of marketed as someone who was good, like my coach would always like, I had moments of like greatness on the field. And then as soon as I kind of understood like my ego, like oh yeah you you know you can do this you you, you can save the team you know it was like oh the the pressure you know of mm -hmm. like letting my teammates down in situations is like I died and like that 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 wasn't the love of the game you know you needed you needed a coach to to give you a vision you know and and my coaches were just concerned about winning and so um, skateboarding martial arts those were all those were all paths to just personal development and, and just 
really, um, they were, they were loneliness management tools. It was, you know, boredom is the mother of creativity. And so when you have infinite amounts of energy and creativity and, you know, you're young and impressionable and, you know, the gray matter doesn't have much wrinkles, you can, you can throw everything from striper to slayer to Johnny Rotten to, you know, uh, to skateboarding and to throwing stars and to archery and to throwing out striper brother come on (laughs) exactly my mom would not let me listen to the radio she was religious right made the sheriff of nottingham look like a leftist Uh, she was strict but i gotta listen to petra couldn't listen to striper they were too radical i had to listen to petra the garmo and key and i remember the first air quotes secular tape i got Huey Lewis and the News Sport. Whoa, that's definitely the devil's music. Devil's music for sure. <laughs> Fast forward. Right, I'm, 18, right. I'm 18 years old in Missoula, Montana, and I bump into Huey Lewis. And this is, I mean, you, for people who don't know, folks, this we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have digital cameras. It was an autograph. That was your proof. You met someone famous. I had the Batman Michael Keaton double issue Rolling Stone and I asked my mom for a pen and she pulled out a purple pen and I about lost my shit. I'm like, that's Huey Lewis. You're giving me a purple pen? (laughs) This is Huey. This is the guy. This is the only rock and roll person I can listen to. Had a Budweiser and, you know, denim jacket and blazed on the back a little bud. Asked him, he's like, of course, man. Signed it, said a couple nice things. And then he went into this little bar and and got a beer. And I was just like, my parents aren't looking. I'm gonna go in the bar and get a beer with Huey Lewis. And had a beer with Huey Lewis. Nice. And my mom lost her mind. She prayed over me for... (laughs) Because lost the experience right right but you know but i bring that up because you talked about music and you brought up a lot of different music in there and i want to keep going with your childhood but language situation will separate us but music is that common bond we're all born with a piece of with a little bit of harmony in us even though i can't clap on rhythm and i can't sing to save my life I love music and I love musicians. How much when you're alone or you're working out or when you were younger, did music help you through things or did it empower you to do things or was it just a background voice to ensure that you weren't lonely? Well, I mean, all the above, bro. Okay. Um, Yeah, all the above. Yeah, music was... uh in many ways, the, the savior of my adolescence, you know, it was, uh, there, there, first there's, uh, the, the magic of the connection between boy and girl, you know, when, when there, I wasn't really interested in Disney and all that stuff. It was, it was this, it was this, uh, you know, the eighties were this time of like, 
you know, you had like, uh, you know, Cool in the Gang and Sheila E and like Prince and you had, you know, Michael Jackson, you had, you know, uh, Sting, you know, in the police, you had, you know, so many in dare I even say Madonna, you know, like you had, you had music videos that were miniature movies that told the story of human experience. And most of the time it was about, it was, it was about young people, adolescents, you know, in, in the, in, in that time of their lives where they just were like, it was all, it was all chemistry and it was all, you know, this, the, the love, the, it was all about love and, and real romantic love and like the mystery of creating a magical place with another human being to where you had the keys to the universe between you and you really, it really felt that way. You really felt the magic of what it was like to, to have that closeness with another human being and just, and, and not need anything else, not want a phone, not want a picture, you know, just under the stars, just talking or like by firelight, just sharing stories and connecting. And also with and so, connecting real quick, connecting, finding people. Mm. We found people. I didn't use an app. I didn't use a text or a phone call. Right. It was a connection because you know what? I must say it. We were connected when we were younger. We found our friends because we were connected. That's true, right? You, you learned how to speak your mind. And you learned how to look someone in the eyes. Uh, you know, I remember my friend Paul, when I was 15, told me my girlfriend was fat. He was my best friend in the world. And, you know, it, like I was pissed off at him. And you know what? A few days later, he apologized. You know, it was like you 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 sorted things out, man. You 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 just it's you still had the inherent program of human that dominated your scape, you know? Yep. It's a, we had a thing, man. You go outside, you knew someone else was outside. You were connected. Moms didn't call and create play dates. You went out and played. Go find your friends. Well, I think they're having their iPad time. Go find your friends. Bought a house with a pool for a reason. Not because I like cleaning that some bitch three days out of the week and added chemicals every day. It's not the reason we have it. Bring your friends over, swim, cannonball, have fun, right. play. <clears throat> and play in an environment where the phone is, is, is in danger. Play in an environment where all those electronics are in danger, where they can't be there. It's their kryptonite and connect. We have this little neighbor girl, man, she's so awesome. She goes, hey, Mr. Jason, where do you drop Harper off at school? I said, well, kiddo, it's the easy one, the first one, right in and out. I'm gonna go to the store, grab a couple things, and then I'm on my way. Well, I know the line's longer, but would you do the front of the school? Because I'm opening car doors for people to let kids out. And I'm like, you know, I'm there first morning. We pull up, just timed out, man, connections, timed out. My daughter's like, there she is, daddy, daddy, there she is. 
Well, let's see if we pull up. Roll the dice. Let's see if we pull up. Boop, boop, boop. Opens the door. I'm like, good morning, sweetheart. Thank you so much. It's so good to see you. She's like, oh, I got your door. I'm like, yeah. And my daughter, she's just like, she's older. This girl's older. She's like, thank you, man. I'm going to bring you a treat. Dad, can we make some cookies for their family? She opened our car door. I'm like, absolutely, man. Whatever we want to do, let's just, let's do it. Next day, boom, pull up right up. She opens the door. She's like, two days in a row, I've never had this. I'm like, yeah, but you're not a neighbor, you're family. When I need something, I call your dad. When your dad needs something, he can call me. When your parents need some time alone, you kids come over and watch a movie. We're connected and it's not through a phone. My blinds are open to that side of the street for a reason. You can look out and see some boys having a beer, talking, building something, you know? And we're still childish. Poor Ryan, my neighbor, he gets this cook shack, turns it into a smoker. I'm with my other boy, my other neighbor, Trey. We're sitting out there and we're looking. <laughs> we're like, cook shack. Ryan walks in, I'm like, Trey, you got, got that razor blade over there. Let's make it a cock shack. <laughs> so he builds this whole thing up. He gets it all done and finally looks and he's like, gentlemen, I'm not very happy right now. I'm going to take all the lettering off because my kids are asking what a cock shack is. Exactly. <laughs> you live next to two children who are connected by the fact that you're from Montana, I'm from Montana, he's from East Texas, and we're just good old boys who just want to have fun. Right. We want our kids to play together, and we want to disagree, and we want to talk till three in the morning, and then wake up the next day with no disagreement in our heart. It's the only way we want to live. I mean, we told him this one thing. I'm going to get into silly stories now because... You know, we're, we're winding down. I want people to pep up at the end of this and, and come out feeling good. We were, uh, we're in this cab. We'd gone uh, to downtown Austin and we'd had a little bit of fun. We're driving back and two in the back and I'm up front. This is, you know, pre-COVID days, four or five years ago. And uh, I look at the, the cab driver, you know, he's, he's got four guys, all 200 pounds in his cab. He's, you know, he's keeping an eye on everybody as he should. He picked us up from a bar. I have no disrespect in that at all. But I said, I'm going to have some fun. So I go, hey, you recognize that guy back there? He's like, maybe. I go, well, listen, he's a little embarrassed. He doesn't like a lot of eye contact. He's an actor, but not like an Academy Award winning actor. He's a porn star. You might know him as the big dick bandit. So this starts where I start making this story up. David, I'm making this story. I'm selling this story. We get done. He's asked for an autograph. And Ryan's like, I'm, 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 I want a beer from the fridge. I don't want to talk. No, Jason, I don't, I don't like these stories you make up. I can't believe people believe them, but you sell them in a way. So now I've sold this to Ryan. Now I tell him, like, you got to go home. You got to let the wife know the bandits here. Well, the way the houses are set up, I'm in my neighbor's yard and in between when Ryan turns his bedroom light on, there's a little light that can shine in that we can see that he's been, that he's there. Mm. Curtains and everything, but you can see the light come through. Walks in his house, five, four, three, two, one, light comes on. 
Three seconds later, light goes off. Three more seconds, Ryan comes out. She didn't want to talk to the bandit. <laughs> you know? Son of a bitch. But the next morning also, Trey and I texted his wife, apologized, and apologized to her in person and said, hey, sorry, we were having some fun, you know. Had one too many pops. Thought this was hilarious. Did not mean to wake you up. Don't want to ruin your Saturday. We all work hard. We all enjoy our Saturdays. We all enjoy our Sundays. We apologize if we created any tension. We were just being silly. Mm. But once yeah, I, man, yes, it's real life, man. But it's the apology, right? And it's and sure. And there's sure, no sure. ill intent, and we haven't done it again. And it's not like we did it the next weekend. Like, we'll just apologize. She'll be okay with it. Right, 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 right. It's having fun. I have to ask, you know, what is it? Because people are going to want to know. What is it you do for fun? What is Me? It, yeah, you. What is it you do for fun? I mean, I'm a crazy person. I do random stuff, but what is it you do for fun? Uh, I'm keeping you up late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's getting late here. <laughs> it's almost 11. Um, what do I do for fun? I mean, my idea of fun is wake up, go for a swim at dawn. I live on the beach. Uh, maybe do a little exercise in the morning, get my blood flowing and just you know, hopefully one of these days I can meet a nice lady and spend some time with her just frolicking around and enjoying life's simple pleasures. You know, that I think that would be uh, fun. Um, I got uh, ocean kayak. I got a lot of guitars. Um you know, my daughters, they're mm -hmm. obviously a source of, of fun and play. I mean, and hey, no uh, offense. I've only seen a couple pictures of you and your daughters. For whatever it's worth, your smile is different, brother. It, right, it is. right, yeah. It's different. That's a different joy. Yeah, yeah you know, it, they, they teach you what it means to be the best human you can be, you know. They, they really... They really do. Um, but, you know, fun for me. Uh, I mean, I love pictures and video of amazing places, novel experiences, you know, little nooks and crannies that creating little dream worlds, you know, going like I've, I've traveled to a lot of places like I, I got my my passport I got in 2010 my goal was is to fill up every page front and back and I did that I uh, 52 countries in 10 years and um, part of it was work part of it was just pure ambition I've been to every continent except Antarctica and um thoroughly explored South America, Central America, the Caribbean, um, you know, 
some some of Asia, all of Europe, um, Northern Africa, Australia, um, just all over the map, and like that that to me, that's a lot of fun. Is that is that your your dream with maybe because of your background and moving so much is finding that significant other that wants to be grounded in who they are, but experience, but uproot life, if that makes sense, right? Like, let's, let's fly here, let's go here, or your job or your life or whatever it is that accommodates that travel, or maybe it's just, you know, it's, it's years of work and, and then that accommodates, whatever it is, it's the idea of being on the move, but still being grounded in who you are. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely some of it, you know, there's brother, it, there, there's this thing we call unconditional love that we kind of know exists, but it's mm-hmm. kind of like that, it's, it's like that scene in Gladiator where Marcus Aurelius and Maximus have a conversation and Marcus Aurelius pulls Russell Crowe in and says, there once was a dream that was Rome, a republic that you could only whisper about. It was just a whisper. And, you know, that's what I think of unconditional love is that we have the capacity to do it. But in my life to this point, even though I've got two sets of kids, I've got two, two sons from a, a previous marriage that I was with their mother for seven years. I was very young. They're 24 and 23, and they're amazing young men. I'm very proud of them. And then well, six years went by, and then I met another woman, and created my daughters, and thankfully, Things are very smooth with her, even though we're not together anymore. But there's always this, uh, there was always this, I was raised in a very traditional values family, military family. My parents were together for 52 years. I've got three sisters. They're all married. They all have kids. They're all very traditional family values people. And for me, that just hasn't been my journey, man. No matter how hard I try, to be myself and at the same time care for someone else and stick to my principles. Uh, I'm constantly in a situation where um, for whatever reason, things don't work out. And as later on down the road, I always get the phone call. You know, I got a phone call from Max the other day. It's like, oh, you know, they totaled my car and uh, now I've got a car that actually has a CD player and I remember the CD that you made for me. And I'm like, you're a crazy person. <laughs> Thank you for bringing my children to the world, but you're a pathological liar who assumed a different identity. And I don't want anything to do with this conversation right now. Thank you very much. You know, because everything you told me was a complete lie. You fabricated your entire identity and I believed you for three years. And it took a private investigator and it took you trying to leave the state with my kids. And it took you abandoning my kids with a neighbor for you to go to jail to realize 
that you're fucking out of control, you crazy bitch. You know? And, and those girls, those girls are the reason why you have any sense of sanity in your life. So thank God your mother is okay enough to watch you so that you can see your own daughters and the huge strides you've made in your own personal development have come because those little girls have grounded you and made you aware of the fucking lies that you've told and how how mind-blowing those things are when you start pretending that you're somebody and how you can involve other people and you're pretending and destroy their life through all that shit so see i you know that was my mom that was my mom growing up was that crazy person and i remember she'd been married a lot and the last guy she was married well not the last guy she was married to but there was a guy she was married to he passed away and he had had uh he had a son and a you know his son had got married they had a couple of kids and um one day grandma z just disappeared she stopped talking wasn't there anymore you know and i talked to my stepbrother who's you know not really my stepbrother they call my brother both of my brothers they just are i love him to death i love Ravo and ross to death i was talking to him and said how are your kids doing they go yeah they still bring her up sometimes it still makes them sad because she just doesn't exist she was there every day picking them up after school. She was taking them on the weekends. Then one day she just didn't return a phone call. Disappeared. Crazy, right? And uh, I talked with her. And I said, hey, this is my kid. I don't believe in the fact that because I had a rough childhood, she should. I don't carry that legacy. I don't carry that burden to her. I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes, but I don't carry burdens and legacies. I just don't. So they're my fuck ups, not blaming you for them or anything else. However, if you disappear on my kid at any time, you're not welcome back. You don't get to walk through the door again. There's not an apology. There's nothing you can say. You don't get to walk through my door again. You don't. And uh, my kid was one and a half. She was, she's seen my daughter three times. She lives three hours away. Mm. And on that third time, she complained that the crying when she woke up at night kept her up and she was tired driving home. And I said, well, one, I offered to fly you or give the train or the bus, whatever you wanted, or I would have driven you home myself. I don't care. And uh, her husband had had some, uh, some medical incidences and some strokes and he was violent to her. Mm. And she asked me to stay at her house. And I said, no, I'll stay at a hotel. We'll come see you. We'll hang out with you. But, you know, my kid spills his Dr. Pepper and he yells at her, does something. He's The stroke's going to be the least of his worries. Mm. And she never spoke to me again after that or my daughter. And I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with right. it because it's not that my kid's not going to have rejection. It's not that those things aren't going to happen in any way, shape, or form. It's not. I'm just saying it shouldn't happen from a parent or from a grandparent. I'm just saying we got to hold a higher standard. 
Dude, you know the problem, and I'm just gonna be as real as I can be. Please. You know, this whole this whole fucking patriarchy thing is just ridiculous. I'm like, I'm a huge fan of Jordan Peterson, and it's like, you know, the the whole notion that there's some type of oppressive nature in this free society has just been used to undermine and destroy the nature of the family, the structure of the family, and it's just like it, it just it. You have so many, I, I've met so many women, they're just, they, they operate under complete false pretenses. It's like they want, they want their own life where they can have their cake and eat it too. And they'll justify saying that, you know, because, uh, you know, that that's a possibility a possible outcome then why shouldn't they don't they deserve that and i'm like yeah but it's like ayahuasca you don't always get what you want but you get what you need exactly you know and it's like we all need the medicine in life as much as we want the sugar and and the problem is is that there's there's you can't hold another person to their word or, or make them accountable if some other asshole is just willing to let them, you know, come in, you know, you have situations where I just want to, I just want to be a principled person. This is not my way. This is the way in which all of human existence has been allowed to come to this point. It's like, you're supposed to be a mother and I'm supposed to be a father. Can we play this game for real? Can we be grown-ups now? Mm-hmm. You know, do, you know, I, I've met so many women that just, they are incapable of putting someone else's needs first. And I'm not talking about me. I'm not expecting you to put your, my needs before yours. But don't go walking around like, you know, um, a perfect accessory to my online life would be a kid. Can you give me a kid? Can you pay for this kid? Can you give me a kid? Can you pay for this kid? And then I'm going to let the world know that, you know, I'm now ready to put someone else's needs first. Yeah, I'm going to leverage the kid. Right. I'm going to leverage the kid. I leverage. Right. All of this. And then you wonder why the kid grows up screwed up. Yeah. Oh, and this isn't working, by the way. So I want a divorce. And by the way, um, I'm just going to screw our kid up even worse because they're going to spend most of their time with me. And as long as the financial situation is straight, then I'll be able to provide the kid everything that they need, even if you're not around. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, so you've just defined the reality of what it means to have a father, a father with just an account that he puts a deposit in. That's it. And it's like, it's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting that, that there's their, our weakness to their strength. And their weakness to what this man's world has made them is destroying 
the future of our children because they're buying into the shit that people create, man has created and has defined them. They wear all the labels. They want all of the superficial you know, things that make them feel pretty or powerful or whatever, whatever it is to give them the upper hand in situations. I'm like, dude, once you bring a child into the world and I've been there four times, like I've, I, I pulled my son out of the womb. Like I was the first hands to touch my child. Oh, I, what, that was I the last birthed, one to talk with you about. I'm glad we're talking I, about this. Yeah. I birthed, I birthed my child. Like I brought my child, my, my son's head out of my wife's vagina and dislocated his clavicle from her pelvic bone. It was like, all of, the, all of this mystery of magic and life that you create. And it's like, it's all just downgraded and relegated to this financial exchange. And I'm like, look, man, you, you, you said you wanted magic. You get the fuck out of here. You don't want magic. You said you wanted love. Get the fuck out of here. You don't want love. You don't want Prince Charming. You don't want. You don't want all these things that make something so real that it blows your mind and forces you to be real and vulnerable at every moment that you live on this planet. You don't want that. You're lying to yourself. You want an agreement that provides you a sense of comfort and security, and you're willing to throw everything away for that. Yep. And, and by virtue of that in itself, you are denying yourself the essence of what it means to be a woman. Oh, and the a essence. And a lover. And a lover, right? I mean, you are. I'll tell you, the, the, when our daughter was born, it was a scheduled C-section. We had to get her early because my wife's liver was failing because of a boating accident that ripped her liver in half. And she was one of the few where it grew back. And they're telling us, you take the drug, your wife heals, she's fine, but the baby could probably die or get severe brain damage. So we're playing a game, fucking game. Get her, we get her a month early. Comes out the umbilical cords around her neck. This is a scheduled C-section. She's laying up there, you know, they got the screen up. I'm back there with her and they're just like, hey, so how's the kid? And the doctor looks at me like, you tell her she's great. Tell her the kid's great. I'm like, she's doing great. And he tells me, he goes, follow her. So I walked out with my kid. And um, one of the best things that ever happened for my relationship with my daughter. She held on to my finger. She reached out, wanted to grab something. She grabbed my finger. The bassinet was on my side of the bed. Not because I'm better, but because my wife had a C-section. And she just couldn't get up. Mm. Make the sacrifice. You, just, you make the sacrifice. You do it because, because I love her and I love my daughter. So she fell asleep holding my finger. When we first put her in her crib, her hand was, she was screaming and her hand was outside of her crib and she was just like, ha, ah, I just, I need, she wanted to hold on to my hand to go to sleep. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Man. It was a powerful connection. And one of the greatest things was is that my wife recognized that connection. 
and she didn't try to interrupt it. She created her own. Oh, y'all, this is your game. Y'all like to cook together. This is your game. But I'm going to create my own with her. I'm going to create my own with her. And all I say to the ladies out there is like, man, if you're having a kid to get a paycheck, you're having a kid to add to your Instagram, your likes, or just because you think life should be more fulfilling with a child, you're doing it wrong. If you are having a kid because, man, you believe that you've grown and been better from where you came from, right? Have the kid, have the partner. And if even things go bad with the partner, here's the thing, you're both from strong roots. Mm -hmm. The kid's gonna be okay if, you know, you're adults about it. If you got the strong, my, my parents weren't adults about it. I wasn't okay for a long time. I remember going to a therapist going, I don't know how to love people. Mm -hmm. I don't like people. I like people. People are awesome. I don't know how to love people. I have no idea. I have no concept of what that means. I don't. She's like, what do you mean? Oh, years in therapy. Talking about, I don't know how to love people. And this woman was like, you grew up in a home where you didn't know how to love someone. Holy shit. How are, where were you born? What happened? What right. kind of abuse? And I was like, there's no fucking, I mean, abuse, but I'm like, there's no fucking abuse. I don't know how to love people. I don't know. Yeah. And thank God I went through that. I'd be a shitty father. I'd be a horrible person. My wife would have left me. And rightfully so. Even though I waited until I was in my late 30s to get married. Man, if you can't love yourself, people, if you, if you can't figure out how to love yourself and know how to express love to other people and be vulnerable, which is what David's talking about, if you can't do that, if you can't, I mean, it's weird to say, and I'll wrap it up in this because the credits are rolling, but I'll wrap it up in this. And I think this is a beautiful thing. And then I want you to close. And then we got to say one silly thing, but this movie, Pulp Fiction, is about honesty, integrity, and vulnerability. And everyone in this movie, at some point in time, every single person is vulnerable, except for the wolf. Because that motherfucker is slick. Because he's an accurate NSX, son. Because he's, he's the wolf. Because he's, he's the, the wolf. wolf. <laughs> and he gets wolf anywhere doesn't... in LA traffic in nine minutes. So that's the right. wolf dog. But it really is. I mean, for this conversation we've had, this is a beautiful movie that parlays with it because in every point, Samuel L. Jackson, washing hands. What are you doing? Wash your hands, right, man? There's accountability. There's honesty. There's reflection. There's, there, there's, there's intersection of, of, of lives and what that means. There's saving someone when you don't have to. All of that yeah, I, 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 I I, I like I like how each Tarantino kind of she he crafts each one of the characters with these kind of um, soprano esque kind of there's admirable traits and then there's the inevitable kind of undesirable 
aspects. There's the contradiction mm -hmm. to each one of the characters. And I think that contradiction is ubiquitous throughout all humans. And no matter who you find, um, you know, JFK, MOK, they all had mistresses, you know, it's like they were great, they were great men. Um, you, if you look hard enough into any life that was great, there's always a, a level of complexity that there's an imperfection. There's something that was grinding on them or something that makes them human and makes them real. And I think, you know, that movie does a good job of that. And I think this conversation was a good, a good revealing um, of just two guys, man, in our lives that we've lived and just doing the best we can, man. David, I'll say, man, this has been a real pleasure. Um, I, I never come in doing homework because I don't do homework on my friends when I want to talk to them. I just want to have a conversation. And uh, there's very few that I've had where a multitude of things has, has happened. My heartstrings have been pulled. You know, I've gotten a little misty out a couple of times. And at the same time, I feel energized and ready to, to go do something and be better. Uh, I mean, this is a beautiful conversation, brother. I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I know you're busy. I know you got a lot that you do. And, you know, we, we talked about a little bit in the, earlier on, but I'll reiterate, time's the one thing we don't get back. You have kids, you have relationships, you have people. You don't know me from Adam. You don't know me. And you rolled the dice and we got to have this conversation. And I'll tell you, I enjoyed every minute and I'd do it for another two hours. I really would. You're a fun person to talk to. You make me think a little differently. You make me see things a little differently. Ideas pop in my head and I get to say them and, and, and it's judgment free. It's, you know, it's to not know someone and to have them treat me the same way I treat everyone, which is a common place of respect and let's just talk and, and be open and honest and be vulnerable into, I'm just gonna share what I'm gonna share because this is my life experience and not be judged. Damn brother, you're a special person, man. You are, you're a special <laughs> takes, person. Takes and, one to know one, bro. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you, but you are, you're a very special person and uh, you know, I'll say something I'm, I know you've heard before, but doesn't hurt hearing it again. The people in your life, from friends to family to, to, to daughters to sons, they're lucky. And guess what? They also can pat themselves on the back as they help carve that piece of marble a little bit. <laughs> hey, man, that's very perceptive of you. They certainly did. Uh, I owe everything to to my family, man. They uh, everything that gets taken from you, you know, you you got to do your best at kind of taking the hardships and seeing what you can create with it. You know, when things sh are shattered, you know, you got to pick up the pieces and you got to find a way to make your life redeemable. And so, 
I figured that, you know, there's times in my life where things were lonely. Those, the, those connections with my loved ones were severed. And so I just pursued an internal love for myself so that I could perhaps bring strength to other people who would go down similar paths. We're, we're complex, beautiful beings that were, were equipped with the ability to sustain and create long lasting loving relationships. But um, our skills at handling trauma aren't as advanced as the culture and the promises that um, love can be conveniently delivered for three payments of 1995 with your visa card. Yeah. So we, uh, we learn, we learn along the way, man, to just love ourselves through all the changes. And sometimes that's a lonely road, but at the end of the day, I think like you're, you'll be given the seeds in this lifetime that will germinate the, uh, a beautiful world that you'll inherit when you pass into the next life. So it's a still enjoy the journey. I still, I know that I'm aware of that. I'm aware that, you know, the, the little things, the niches and knocks and scars and all that stuff. It's just, this is a way, this is a way of just, you know, collecting more data. Just, just, you know, take it, take it all. Take it's, it all. It's all. It's all good, man. It's all good because it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bittersweet symphony. This life. It is. I don't know if you can see this. This is my little koozie for my drink this evening. It says "shit just got real," and folks, it's been getting real for for two and a half plus hours. You know. Thanks um, for thanks for sharing your time with me too, bro. Thank you, man. Um, I don't know where you'll be uh, during the time, but there's a there's a portion in December. I'll message you privately uh, when I'm in uh, the Miami area. If you're around, I'd love to grab a cup of coffee, take you out to dinner or lunch or whatever. If the, the schedule is appropriate, and we can do it. I, I'd love to have that happen. If you're ever let's in some, Texas, let's get, some, let's get some kettlebell swings, bro. Let's get some. I gotta, I gotta rehab my shoulder a little bit, but I'm ready. It's funny. My wife's like, you're in pain, man. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm always in pain. So that's not an excuse anymore. <laughs> what is, is the fire still there, right? Is the fire, can I, can I figure out to stoke the fire? Can I get some kettlebell swings in? Can I do, can I have some fun? Can I, can I enjoy life? Can I yeah. still be competitive? Yes. And can I show my kid that, that even in the face of adversity, we're still going to play. We're still going to have fun. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to fan those embers until that fire ignites again, man. Yes. That's That's what we're here to do, baby. Before we, before I close it out, once again, where can people find you? Is there anything, um, in your life of what you're doing, um, marketing, uh selling well there you go talk about it talk about it talk about it so after my embolism and being in a coma i realized the importance of respiration i created and formulated the first organic essential oils there we go okay organic organic essential oils antiviral send me the uh, links sanit- on those i'm gonna put them in the show notes perfect sanitize nebulize exercise Ooh. so 
Yep, new studies that came out that says besides obesity being the leading cause of morbid comorbidity with COVID, also anxiety. So 80% of fat is excreted through respiration. So if you want to burn fat more effectively, you got to learn to breathe. And respiratory health is linked to alleviating stress. So the more you can breathe, the more you can handle the perceived stress in your life. Oh, and those wait, are the two. You're removing, you're removing two of the big comorbidity factors through breathing. Bingo. Understanding your body. Taking, taking, taking your power back, man. Respiration revolution, baby. The respiration revolution. I love it, brother. I love it. it now, thanks, Jason. Thank you so much. Now is the time, folks. When you get to hear my daughter, who will sue me later in life, I am sure, or some famous attorney will, as she sings about that first time she took a shit by herself. It is one of my favorite moments in life. I'm so happy I got to share it with y'all. David, thank you again, brother. We will be thank talking. You, I hope I get you on again and uh, be good. Thank you again for the time, brother. Appreciate you. Peace. Peace. Love you, bro. Love you, man.